You have now arrived at Stadium and Gale. Boys and girls, ladies and gents, welcome to another episode of Steady Miguel. It's Uncle Silk. This is All American 25. And Dan. Dapper Dan, my man, 35. We hanging out, man. How y'all doing in these Corona streets? Doing my best to try to battle this throttled internet from uh, from Frontier here. Um, but other than that, just trying to uh, to keep uh I'm biking every day. I went about 20 miles today. And uh, what else am I doing? Watching a bunch of TV, caught up on a bunch of shows now, uh, and then trying to stay employed. You know, outside of that, just trying to every day, every day is the same around these parts. Every day is the same, pretty much, man. But um, same here. I ain't got I ain't got a whole lot new going on. Just caught up on TV like you did. What you watching? What you watching, Lamar? Man, I'm still watching fires everywhere. So, you know, don't mind me. You know, I'm trying to trying to get the on that, and uh, um, that's what's been consuming my TV time because we, me and my wife, just watched it. So now we're ready for Wednesday for when the next episode come out. But uh, you know, that's that's pretty much it. What about you? I uh, still working my way through All American. Um, I feel like that show's been just going on and on and on. Uh, let's see what I watched. Uh, How to fix a drug scandal, which is a wild show about uh, about two women in oh, um, in Massachusetts. Yeah, it's it's a little long. It, it's probably an hour too long. Uh, but I mean, it's a fascinating story about uh, how one lady put a bunch of people in prison that probably shouldn't have been there, and another lady who was uh, stealing drugs and, and smoking uh, a bunch of crack cocaine for for about ten years. Uh, but fascinating, true story. Uh, really, really interesting to to watch that. Uh, little fires everywhere. Let's see what else. Um, Silk, I know you're watching that Waco show. I want to hear a little bit more about that. Well, what else? Uh, I think that that's that it. I didn't, is where it's I, at. That's pretty I didn't good. do as much so, TV watching this week. Tell me about Waco. Is it worth watching? Yeah, man. Um, dope. I just uh, turned on Netflix and they had it up there. I was like, let me check this out. Never seen it. Um, great series. Of course, it's only one season because it's a, a true story. But, man, um, just get the details of it. I, remember, I was a kid when it happened, so I don't you know, you're a kid, so you're not in, in like in tune with what's going on in the news to detail, man. But yeah, I got a lot of insight on what was going on, man. It was just it's insane. Yeah, Damn, it's little, wow. I was I was a little too young to uh, I was five when uh, when that happened. Uh, but I remember there was a documentary that came out. It, it wasn't the series that that you're watching. There's a documentary that came out that talked about it. Uh, but I mean, it's absolutely wild to think. I mean, that was what 17 years ago uh, that uh, that we had tanks at the door of a uh, of a compound in uh, yeah. in Waco, Texas. Man, it's it's a wild story. Uh, so I'm gonna definitely check that one out. It's a wild story on both ends. I would say from. Um 27 years, sorry. Bad man. That guy's yeah. in. Yeah, it definitely was more yeah. than 17 years ago. I was going to let that slide because I don't want to feel old. But um, it was a while from the government's end, the way the, the way um, ATF handled it, the way the FBI handled it, and also uh, the people. Uh, I don't really want to... It felt cult, cultish. You know what I'm saying? I feel a little bad for calling it a cult, but when people just want to leave out of just common sense, it just made me want to call it that because 
Yeah. There's a lot of common sense going down, and you kind of see how this is going to play out. I don't know how people stuck around for that, man. Yeah, that's, def- that's definitely a cult. Yeah, that's definitely a cult. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the Colts was popping in, in the eighties and nineties. The Colts was was thriving. That yeah, was, was the, a lot of people that claimed to be Jesus in the eighties and nineties. Man, it was, yeah. all, it was at an all time high. I don't know. They had to be doing some good dope. Yeah, man, because it was the LSD wearing off from the seventies. That's yeah, exactly was- right. Yeah, the, the weed from the sixties, the LSD from the seventies. They were looking to try to find Jesus by the eighties. Yeah, I get yeah. it. <laughs> oh man, I'm trying to think of what else. Um, what else has been on TV that I, that I want to watch? I've heard some things about that Outer Banks show, uh, which is on Hulu. I started that. I think, or is it Hulu or Netflix? I've heard some some decent things about that. Uh, I just got picked up for a second season, uh, so I might watch that. I heard the ending's kind of whack, but uh, we'll see uh, in in season two what that looks like. I'm trying to think, uh, the new episode of Tiger one. King um, wasn't very good. I didn't like that, but yeah, Tiger King is out of here. We're we're done with Tiger King. He's been canceled. Um, you just get you can't get. Extras episodes out of you, know like, <laughs> you got to drop the whole series. I'm saying, what yeah. else are we gonna find out? Like, is there something hidden? Tell us the first ten episodes. The Jordan special came on yesterday. Yeah, t- tell me about that. I didn't. I didn't get to watch last night. Uh, tell me a little bit more about it. Well, apparently there's eight more parts, so you just sit tight. Eight parts. I, this Space Jam is kind of true. I, I saw a uh, a tweet or a, a meme earlier today with that the guy that ran more on mountain or whatever from, from Space Jam against uh, a picture of some guy that was in the documentary and he's like I, he's like I think I know who that guy was based off of so um, I definitely got to check it out what is that ESPN right yeah ESPN thirty for thirty uh, they're partnering with Netflix for this one but yeah it was um I think the delivery is a little weird I think they're delivering it um. The timing, the timeline of it, like they, he goes from college, it's confusing, yeah. man. I think they 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 work way too hard, overthought out. You know what I'm saying? They overthought this whole thing. The yeah. content is easy to get, like the information is ESPN, so they could get Scotty and right. Phil, all those guys come back in. That's no issue. I think it had to be delivered a certain way, and I didn't like the beginning of how it was delivered, but overall, I feel like it's gonna be a good one. I don't know if I'm gonna make all nine parts of this though. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot of parts. It's a follow up, no matter how interested you are. But I'm, oh, but I'm man. looking forward. I, I'm looking forward to the uh, the old fashioned debate that we haven't heard in a while of of MJ versus LeBron that I'm sure is already heating up the internet. It's already man. You see your time? It was all over my timeline today, like all day. Yeah, that's gonna be. People just gotta enjoy Mike right now. That's just my thing. Just enjoy Mike. I'm a. You know where I stand on this side of this thing, bro. LeBron's my goat. For a lot of different reasons, but I mean, it ain't worth arguing, man. I grew up idolizing Michael Jordan and buying every shoe he had come out, dog. He, he's a special dude. Just watching this, man, like he ain't he ain't nothing like nobody else been on this planet. So, yeah, man, just enjoy greatness. We ain't got to argue and debate LeBron and Mike. We got the rest of um, our lives to do that. Let's just enjoy this special. That was my take from it. Everybody was arguing that, but I, I kind of logged off and just enjoy ESPN. Ahmad, did you watch it? What'd you think? I mean, it's pretty tight to me. Um, it's just weird, though. You know, again, we talked about it earlier. I was a kid, so information is, is new to me. Um, you know, what is it, Jerry Ross, the, the GM? He basically single-handedly dismantled that team by himself. And, you know, that shit was it, it, weird, bro. It was just how, how that, that GM had that much power over the owners. It, it threw me for a loop. 
It's unorthodox a little bit. Uh, yeah, man, that's just a lot of ego got involved with him. Yeah, um, I think it's more. Well, we we know, bro. I think it's more. You know, just how no, he went I about. Think, stuff. I, think, I do think it was a lot of his ego. He was just like it, it talked about it in the documentary. Uh, where he said. He had an interview and they asked him. He's saying that he was pretty much saying that the players don't just win championships. Yeah, the organization. Yeah, so I think after that he was out trying to, to prove that he could do it again without Mike, without Phil. Yeah. There's no other reason to get those guys out. You know what I'm saying? Of course, athletes don't. They kind of look down upon the the guys that never played this game, the geeks, the nerds that they they kind of just do the business behind the scene. Mm-hmm. They kind of look down on those guys anyway. He didn't make it easier for himself the way he carried himself. So. I think he was out to prove Mike and Phil wrong, and we see what Chicago did out the Mike and Phil left. Yeah, I'm curious to see the rest. You know, I'm definitely uh, fascinated to watch, uh, you know, his move to baseball. Um, I don't know if they're going to cover that flu game that he had, uh, the hangover game, whatever it might have been. You know, I want to see how much they get into the gambling stuff. I want to see how. It's hard to tell because there's no order. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. Just got all over the place. Yeah, from him in, in high school, in the team, uh, you know, he not here in the league. They're getting ready, for, you know, to start the season. It's like what, you know? So it's all over the place. Yeah, it was four nineteen. So I was prepping for four twenty. So I was so confused. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> but overall, it was, it was good, man. We got. Oh, we got some college football, some Gator updates there. Yeah, just a maybe a Gator basketball update. Keontae uh, Ke- Johnson is is coming back. Uh, he's the uh, one of the keys to to the Gators uh, basketball program for next year. So I think everybody's coming back uh, that they um, you know that was potentially on the fence. I think the only person um, you know that's leaving um, you know is the center. So you know Florida is going to uh, return. You know, a lot of production. Um, they're going to probably, again, uh, rank in the top, you know, 10 again. Uh, so, again, I guess the biggest question there is can we – can Florida deliver, you know, a very talented roster back, right? I mean, we saw what Florida could do, you know, last season when they, uh, you know, were, were running, you know, good offense and running well together. It kind of looked like a well-oiled machine. They had a couple of really good games, uh, the game against LSU, the game against Auburn. Uh, you know, they had some some big wins, uh, you know, but on the flip side of that, uh, they also looked terrible at times and they would go through huge scoring droughts. So uh, Johnson uh, was, uh, I think, a 14-point uh, game type of guy, a 54% shooter uh, and 38 from the three. So obviously great efficiency um, i know uh, that our friend eric fawcett's a big big fan of his and, and what he could do for florida and really thought that he helped you know florida elevate even though they weren't you know they they weren't as good as they were they lived up to billing wise uh, johnson was really somebody that stepped up uh this year so uh, again a big return for him i know florida also uh is reaching out and has reached out to a few transfers uh Colin uh, Castleton from Michigan, uh, Florida reached out to. He's a six eleven guy, uh, you know, so he would fill that that vacant spot there. Uh, and then I also know that they're looking uh, just to you know at a couple other transfers to kind of see who else is out there to uh, to round out that team. But um, Johnson and uh, is joining uh, Andrew Nemhard uh, and Scotty Lewis and coming back. Sounds good, man. Eligibility um, should be there for everybody that that wants to come back for another year, man. 
we'll see what happens when it unfolds. We've got a long way to see basketball again, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I saw another thing that the NCAA is uh, doing, and I think we talked a little bit about it at last show. Um, if not, it came out right after that uh, this uh, the NCAA uh, suspended for the class of 2020, 2021, um, having to, to submit SAT or ACT scores to be eligible. So, um, you know, Leonard Manuel was a guy I know that was waiting on, uh, you know, his academics, uh, you know, but there's going to be a bunch of people that, that not having that SAT score, ACT score, um, you know, is going to be very, very, uh, it's going to allow a lot of people that may not have otherwise been eligible, uh, the opportunity to play at the, uh, the next level. So I'm not sure if the NCAA is going to change anything, uh, in regard to GPA, uh, but they are waiving the SAT and ACT score for, uh, for the 2020 and 2021 classes. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty much a sliding scale. So if you, your GPA kind of determines what kind of score you got to get. So, yeah, right, no, I, I, yeah, I totally agree. But you know, the biggest issue that we have there um, is the biggest reason that they, you know, one of the reasons that they have a sliding scale is to, uh, you know, protect. Um, or not to protect, but to, to level the playing field against some of the schools that, uh, you know, have great inflation, things of that nature, um, you know, to make sure that, you know, students that yes, you know, may have a good grade, but to just to make sure that they're, you know, their grade point average and, and the grades that they should be getting are the same. Um, so I know that it's, it's to add that level there as well. So I'm curious to see if they do anything to adjust it, or if it's just a, you know, 2.3 or whatever schools require uh, for you to play varsity athletics or 2.5, whatever it might be. Uh, because is, if it's that's the minimum, then, you know, there should be really nobody that played college football or uh, high school football that that's probably not eligible to make it to, to college next season. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm going to get the details on that. But, yeah, I read that, and that will, in the case of Leonard Manuel, there'll be a plus. I mean, it kind of helps these kids because there, there are no tests to be taken. Um, so you don't want to prevent a kid from going to school well, he has to have an opportunity to test right now. So, uh, oh, yeah, we'll see how it goes. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean that's gonna that's gonna affect uh, you know just students or just students across the country. I know the state of California uh, is not requiring SE. SAT or ACT scores uh, for uh, students applying next year. So, uh, you know, the SAT or the ACT can be a make or break uh, for a lot of kids. Uh, you know, a lot of kids, they may have slacked off earlier in their careers or maybe, you know, aren't great students, but could score well and, and could elevate themselves into a, to a better school. Or, you know, there's, you know, kids that are on the fringe, maybe they, um, you know, had, um, you know, they, they aren't as gifted maybe in the classroom, but maybe just the setting isn't right that they use that ACT to, to be able to get into an environment that would allow them to thrive. Um, you know, now are, you know, now that's no longer something that, that can separate, you know, students or, you know, on the flip side of that students that weren't great test takers that maybe have great GPAs that were limited to getting into, you know, some of your great schools. And, and how do you now draw that delineation, uh, you know, between great students that, you know, did really well in school or kids that were really helped by great inflation or, or helped by being at an easier academic school. It's going to be a very, very challenging, uh, you know, couple months for admissions offices for sure. They got time. Right. <laughs> yeah, nothing but nothing but time. What else? Um, 75th birthday to uh, the old ball coach. The GOAT. Yeah. Right before we started, Urban Meyer is on his um, on his uh, campaign uh, to regain the love of everybody again. And he uh, did a big, uh, big shout out with his wife to, uh, to Steve Spurrier for his 75th birthday uh, as well. So shout out to the GOAT. Shout out to the man that, that set the standards for me as far as Gators football, man. I saw a lot of points, a lot of balls being thrown around, a lot of blowing people uh, out. Yeah, pause. 
lot of a lot of blowing teams out. And that's what that's the Gators I fell in love with, and that's what I expect, man. So shout out to the GOAT. That advisor, you made the advisor famous. Oh, he yeah. sure did. Yeah. He made the advisor famous. That's why Bob wears one. Yeah. Gundy wears one because of him. It's iconic, man. Let's see what else. Uh, we had the uh, the Wonderlick uh, scores come out uh, for for quarterbacks. No. Justin Justin Herbert thirty nine. Uh, Jake Fromm a thirty five. Joe Burrow a thirty four. Jordan yeah. Love twenty seven. Jacob Eason a twenty three. Jalen Hurts twenty one. Tua a nineteen. Who score what? For for Wonderlick. What did he score? Nineteen. He scored a thirteen on like the first one, apparently. Yeah. Out of thirteen, got scrapped. He got a nineteen now. Yeah, that's um, that's rough. I'm not really a Wonderlick person. I don't like. Have you taken it before? I've taken it. Have you taken it before? Yeah, I took it. Uh, I think the difference between me taking it, and obviously it's the same setting, um, is it doesn't count for anything when I take it, but um, I scored pretty well. Very good. If you, was, yeah. uh, if you had two of skill set, you'd probably be like a lot of, like, the first guy pick, right? Oh, very good. I would love that. Okay. So, Dan, from over here. Let's see. Van Jefferson uh, got the third highest, or was up there. No, I lied. That's a reversal order. Van Jefferson took it and got a 12. My bad. Big shout out to Van Jefferson. Great skill set. Yeah. This is not it's just not a a test that Yeah, I don't think I don't think it, it matters like it it used to. Um it's the Warner League, man. Some of the I think Peyton Manning didn't score how I don't think Dan Marino did. A lot of the goats didn't test how in the Warner League. So I I don't I don't hold it. It don't hold much weight to me. I think uh, Tua still go wherever he was. I think the biggest question marks with Tua is his durability after that injury. Um, you can kind of see his football savvy as he played the game every Saturday. So everybody know he can play. It's just, is he durable? Can he play on that hip? We'll see. What do you think, Dan? Um, I don't know. Uh, it, that's tough because you're not really fully able to evaluate him right now. You know, you can't get your medical staff in front of him. Uh, he looks relatively healthy. Uh, but I think, you know, if he goes into a situation, you know, I'm a Dolphins fan, unfortunately. And so, you know, right now, the it looks like the move that the Dolphins are going to make is drafting uh, Justin Herbert, which I think is a terrible choice, but it's the Dolphins, so it makes sense. Uh, but, you know, I think if Tua goes into a situation where he doesn't have to play next year, I think that that's something – that's a better position for him to be in because then you're not rushing him back and expecting him to be 100% because I don't think he's going to be 100%. Now, delaying the football season and everything else will certainly help. Uh, but, you know, he's a guy that's been injured twice. Uh, you know, a hip injury is tough uh, to come back from and to battle back from. So he doesn't look 100% even on the videos that he shows out there. Uh, you know, but I still think that uh, I still think he's going to be a hell of an uh, NFL prospect. Yeah, definitely. Me too. Um, so is Van. Van's gonna be a real good pro. Uh, that's that's. I wish Van wouldn't have um got that bad test score. It also with being injured, but he'll be fine. I think he's gonna be in the NFL for a long time. Oh, absolutely. Um, who you guys think? Uh, you know, Burrow's gonna go number one. You guys, uh, and I know we're uh, Corey. I don't know if you want to plug the uh, the drafting that we're doing on on uh, on Thursday, but uh, what do you guys what do you guys think? You think any sh- crazy shenanigans happen in the first uh, you know couple picks or? Uh- 
I, I think Burrow going number one off top. Now, for sure. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, I think the the first, I think the four first four might be a lot, but I'm I'm starting to get skeptical skeptical about the, the whole tour pick at Miami. What y'all think about the NFL? So uh, hard to predict with this who who may move up stuff, and I just think this is one of the biggest years that you don't know who may want to move up because I know the Dolphins fine with moving back a little bit, but um, I also know the Dolphins have the opportunity to move forward if they want, right? I mean, they have three first yeah, round picks. Yeah, yeah, they got a lot of a lot of money to play with, a lot of well, picks. They got a lot of leverage. Um, yeah, I, I think Joe Burrow goes first. I think he should go first. Uh, after that, yeah. Who knows, man? Where do you think Hendo ends up? You think he go top ten? I don't think he goes top ten. But I wouldn't be surprised if he goes around, you know, thirteen to sixteen. Though, I, you know, there's some rumors that the uh, the Jaguars were interested in potentially trading up for him as well at sixteen. I think. Yeah, yeah. I think he's around that range. Um, if something crazy happened, I can see him going earlier than that. But I think he's around twelve to sixteen ish. Hmm. That won't be bad pick for Jaguars too. Get somebody out there young like that. I'm a Jag fan. I love. I, I and I and I and I. You know what I'm saying? I love the Jags, bro. But I would rather. Yeah. I mean, I would rather Hendo go elsewhere. Yeah. Look, we're dysfunctional right now, but you know they like they got a, a thing for picking Gator players, so I won't be surprised. They do, but they they just like. Like today, they just releasing players. Like there's uh, they, Fournette's on the trading block. They don't keep guys, and and so much of this matters about who draft you. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I when when Tampa drafted Vernon Hargraves, I knew it was going to be rough for him, just from a franchise standpoint. You know what I'm saying? Same thing with the Jags, man. When when they got Dante, you hope for the best, but you're like, man, you know what I'm saying? I hope it works out for the kid, but he he's not with the best franchise right now. Now he's doing well that he left, mm-hmm. but I, I pray that the Jags don't don't get <laughs> don't get Hendo for his sake. Yeah, I'm curious to see where he goes. Um, if you know a team trades up for for him, I'm curious to see where you know Jonathan Grenard goes. You know he had a hell of a season. Obviously was was injured a little bit of it. I'm curious to see where he goes. Looks, um, you know, I, I want to know where P Ryan goes. You know if he gets drafted. I want to know where um, – and then which wide receivers get taken, right? You know, you've, we're going to have uh, him on the show later. I'm curious to see if he gets an opportunity. Josh Hammond, you know, Van Jefferson, you know, where he goes. Uh, if anybody takes a shot, I don't think they will, unfortunately. But on Tyree Cleveland, uh, you know, so I'm curious to see where, where a lot of these Florida guys go because, you know, they're, they're kind of mapping all over the place right now. I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to say every – Every UFR receiver that went to the combine gets drafted, in, including Van. I think Van gets drafted. I think Tyree gets drafted late. And this is me going out on the limb. You know what I'm saying? But I think Tyree gets drafted. I think all those guys end up getting drafted. And we'll see what happens with Hammond. We'll talk to Hammond a little bit mm-hmm. when he gets on the podcast, man. But I think at least all those guys that got a chance to run a 40, yeah, all those guys perform well. So I think they, yeah. they all get the opportunity to get drafted. I think um, you have fewer – you have fewer data points, right? So, you know, going to the combine is a huge step up over somebody that didn't go to the combine. So, yeah, because I think a lot of times these guys are lose spot to some dude that runs a four two at a at a pro day or something. But we didn't get to get a whole lot of that. We'll see how pro days went down, man. Speaking of the draft, uh, we're doing a big three roll up, uh, whole family. 
live show on YouTube. So it'll be me or the Big Three Roll Up crew, Stadium Miguel crew, Dan and um, Ahmad pulling up. Uh, we got Benji Brown, uh, the comedian pulling up. Uh, Chad Wilson, yep. uh, father of Quincy. Uh, Quincy and Marco Wilson, he's pulling up to hang out with us. Uh, also, Redell. Redell Anthony. How can I forget the GOAT? Redell Anthony's pulling up to hang out with us. Again, this is found on the uh, Big Three Roll Up YouTube page. It's going to be a Zoom-style hangout. We're going to be hanging out from 7.30 until the end of the first round. So pull up hang out with us. A few more surprises. Uh, we're still waiting on Crowder to get back with us, but I think Crowder may pull up with somebody else. We'll see. Yeah, Reed Allen and I were talking about uh, doing some ladder work in my backyard. So, uh, well, you you could do it on the live. Um, we can, yeah, oh, get you yeah. a ladder. I got I can have yeah. Reed drop off a ladder to your crib, and we can yep. we can all fix your ladder footwork together on the live. Yeah, as a family. There you go. Yeah. I really like that idea. <laughs> Any other news? I I think that I think that's it. I think that's it, boys. I think that might right, be right. it for a while before the draft <laughs> or after the <laughs> no, draft. I think we'll get we'll get some. Um, there's a few few coaches that gave back some money today. Um, I scroll scroll the internet before we got on the show, but there were some coaches giving back some of their salary to offset whatever's going on right now. I don't know what good that does, or why why does that matter with them giving back? Um, what's your opinion on that, Dan? You think those schools asked for some money back or suggested it, or like what does that help? So I didn't, I didn't see the article. I think it depends on the school. I think a lot of it is uh, an optics thing. You know, a lot of them uh, probably are getting just dragged through uh, the internet of, hey, why does this person make so much money uh, already? And so that they feel bad. I think it's more a gesture of goodwill more than anything. But, um, you know, it could really depend. I mean, we've talked about it. In, and if you're a fan of Florida, you don't understand because it's not been an issue at Florida, how lean a lot of these athletic departments and how slim some of their margins are, you know, so being able to provide an extra hundred thousand dollars or whatever, how much money they're giving back, you know, could float the salary of three employees for a year. Right. And so, uh, you know, Florida sits in a really good position financially, uh, but there's a lot of programs out there that don't. So, um, I'll read the article. And we can maybe talk about it next week. Uh, but I actually, it was more Dino Babers, Dino, Dino Babers, and yeah. um, Syracuse basketball coach Boham. They're both giving back a percentage of their salary to offset something. Um, I, we'll probably have more information next week. I think that's interesting, though. I think you're going to probably see more of it, right? Um, yeah. You know, you're gonna you're gonna hear people talk about, you know, why is this person making this much money when the athletic department is talking about shutting down sports, you know, this, that, and the other thing. So I think a lot of it's going to come down to optics and, and that's probably okay. You know, Jim Beheim has lived in Syracuse, uh, for the, the majority of his career and is, you know, probably has the money to be able to live pretty comfortably in, um, very lovely Syracuse, New York. Uh, so for him, it might not matter as much, but I'm curious to see, you know, if there's, you know, coaches that are rising and, and what if they say no, right? Um, or how pressured are they? Because, you know, you don't want to talk about somebody's financial situation and say just because they make X, they have to give back or they should be giving back money. You know, these guys worked really hard to get to where they're at in their career. And, and this money, you know, could provide generational, you know, wealth, if you will, for for their family and an opportunity for them. And they, you know, deserve it. That's what they've brought back to the school. So it's definitely a, a, an interesting philosophical question as well. Um, do they feel obligated or should they feel obligated to give money back? 
I don't think anybody should feel obligated. That's just my take on it. Uh, I just think it's interesting right now. Them giving back money. Um, there's some co- coaches that they're coming up on contract years. So all of this is just it's gonna be interesting to watch unfold. Guess of the week. Um, we doing who we going with first, Dan? So I think for the guest of the week, we have to bring on some family royalty uh, with the Meyer family. Uh, we got the opportunity, thanks Amon, uh, to bring on uh, Nikki Meyer, who's uh, Urban's youngest daughter. Uh, I know uh, Amon, uh, you know, you, oh, pardon me, oldest daughter. Sorry, Gigi's the youngest one. I'm sorry. Um, I know that Amad, that you and her, um, you know, were relatively close um, in college, uh, especially close with the family uh, because of, you know, Urban being very, very open with his house and inviting, you know, a bunch of people in. So really looking forward to uh, to talking with her. Uh, and then after that, we're going to bring Josh Hammond on. And then finally, after that, we're going to bring on Mick Hubert. And then we've got ourselves finishing off our draft where we're going to do kickers, punters, uh, returner, and then we're going to do our coaching staff. So uh, with all that being said, uh, Nikki Myers' interview is brought to you by our folks over at the Thomas Firm. Uh, the Thomas Firm is going to handle all your uh, insurance claims for property damage uh, to your home or business. Uh, their lawyers have over 20 years of experience handling all roof damage, leaks, storms, uh, water damage, hail damage, hurricane damage, sinkhole damage. Uh, probably any other type of ex-wife damage, you know, chair through a window type, uh, fire, sinkhole, whatever it might be. So, uh, work all over the state of Florida, no claim too big, too small for them. Um, if you have any damage to your home, uh, give them a call, uh, the Thomas law firm for a free consultation. Uh, and you can reach them at 813-221-2525. Uh, and then as always, especially during this time, uh, talk a little bit about how they're going to work with uh, COVID-19 and insurance uh, and how you might've been financially impacted if you are a business owner, uh, and how the restriction of uh, movement or restriction of your business uh, may have been hindered. So again, give them a call. Uh, offices are located in Tampa, 813-221-2525. Let's get Nikki Meyer on the phone. You have now arrived at Stadium and Gale. And joining us for the first time on Stadium and Gale is Nikki Meyer Dennis. Nikki, how are you today? I am doing so good. Um, thank y'all so much for having me and and keeping us in your in your thoughts. It's been a while. Absolutely. Well, we're super excited to have you on and talk to you and get to know you a little bit more. And I think Nikki, the first question everybody wants to know, what was it like growing up with Urban Meyer as your father? It is so different than from one who doesn't intimately know us would think because y'all have seen him as the stern face and serious and tough guy that he is just really not as a family man. He is like warm and he's nice and he's hilarious. His humor is so great. And so I think when people actually get to know us, they're surprised by, by what he's really like when he actually lets his guard down and and that's just how he was as a dad. And um, anyone who knows me knows I am a daddy's girl to the core. He's my best friend and he is such a great grandfather to my two boys. So, I mean, growing up with him as a dad, it's been weird. I mean, there, I mean, it's definitely not like a normal childhood, so I'm not even going right. to pretend that it was normal, but he was a normal dad, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, for sure. So that, you know, leads me to, to the question I wanted to ask, what is it like growing up with a, you know, a coach as a, as a father where you are moving around the country where, you know, kind of every year it, it could change. You, you might not know where you are next year. And then obviously moving from, you know, Utah to Gainesville to Columbus and everything else. Talk just a little bit about kind of that experience. Yeah. So coaches, kids, like across the country, I think, we all would immediately be best friends because we understand what that part of the life is like. We understand that you never know where you're going to be. Like, I mean, my, my husband coaches now and we're going through that as a family. You wake up every day and you're like, I hope we're here as long as possible. You never really know what that means. But, but as a coach's kid, I think a lot of us have developed personalities that are pretty adaptable and, and we become pretty friendly, easygoing people because of that. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think a lot of us would have similar personalities, you know, because of that aspect of life. And then the other one is the public eye. I mean, you and your family become under, you, you just are under scope and everything you do, everything you say, good or bad. I mean, sometimes that's really fun. Um, but then sometimes it's, it's really hard because that's your dad that you're watching right. people say good or bad things about. For sure. For sure. So, um, Nikki, talk to us a little bit about your time in Gainesville. I mean, you spent a lot of your, your formative years, um, in Gainesville. What was it like? What was your experience like? Uh, what do you miss most about it? I, um, first of all, I do want to say I claim Gainesville as where I'm from. I'm not really from anywhere. I've lived everywhere and never anywhere longer than I guess seven years was the longest. Um, but when people ask me where I'm from, I say Gainesville, Florida, and Already. I, oh yeah, we, we love Gainesville and we, you know, we always have, and we still have great friends from there. Um, so it's a very special place and I went to high school there too. So those are some really, you know, big years in, in your past. And that's where I spent my high school years and, um, just really great, obviously great memories there. What was urban like after a loss? I know you, uh, we we didn't lose a lot, but what was those oh, days like? And and and, and, and you, when he was in Gainesville, I thought, hell. <laughs> Thank the Lord, it didn't happen very often. So those memories are few and far between, but they're hard, and they're hard for a couple reasons. I think he internalizes, you know, a lot of a lot of that loss. He would turn onto himself as as great head coaches do. You know, you always wonder what could I have done and what didn't I do and why did this happen? And so there was like a lot of self maybe blame there, which was sad to watch because you know you love your dad and you don't want him to feel bad about himself. But it's one of those things that, you know how people say like the sun will come out like tomorrow and we're going to be fine. Like, no, no, no. It didn't come out until the next win. <laughs> so yeah, you better like <laughs> got to get that next victory quick to be able to wash it and, and move on. But yeah, those, the losses never came easy to him. Uh, Urban was a very uh, competitive guy. He still is. Um, did he instill that in you guys? What was the, what was the competition like um, amongst your siblings and whatnot? Oh yeah, completely competitive, and that is in all of us still. Um, and and you know what? He we all compete in our own way. Like we all were. We're all we all went to college to play sports, and so obviously, like that was in athletics. We were very competitive, but as a family, like. You know, we always like have little competitions here and there. Like that's just like part of who we are. It's our nature. And, and he's still that way, even though he's not coaching anymore, you would think he, he is by the way that he still 
is trying to learn and trying to be great at TV. I mean, that's just, that's who he is, who he always will be, and, and that's how we need to be ourselves. Hey, Nick, it's Ahmad. So, uh, <laughs> you're right. Your dad didn't take the, the few losses that we had very well. Um, did he act differently at home? Um, did, he, did he just beat himself up, uh, you know, after a loss like that? I think he did his best to, to, to leave that at work. I really do think he did. But, no, I mean, it was very obvious. Like, the vibe in our house was very different from a win, from a loss. And I do think he did his, did, he did his best to, you know, flip on the dad switch and, and, you know, try to be himself and be happy. But there was always just a little cloud over the house and, until that, that loss could, you know, be washed out. Did you, uh, I know we used to come over to you guys' house a lot, um, and that's one of the mm-hmm. things that Urban was huge on. Um, and you said, you know, it, you, he's very family-oriented, and, and that's one of the things that I talk about um, when people ask me, you know, about Urban mm-hmm. or about the team, the glory years, or, you know, the, the years that I played for Coach. Um, they always ask how, how the locker room was or, you know, how the environment was. Um, did you guys enjoy when we used to come over to the house and just – freaking all be in the swimming pool or playing volleyball <laughs> on the side or playing basketball. Um, did you guys enjoy that uh, much? Oh my gosh. Those are some of my best memories. And I feel like that's why, that's why we were family because, you know, it wasn't only God thinking of you guys as, you know, part of his family. Like we, as his kids were around y'all just as much. And, and we got to do fun things together like that. And so I think, um, and that was where, one of those things where you get to sit back as a coach's kid and be like, man, this is cool. Like, how many people get to have, like, 100 of the greatest football players in the country over at their house at once? Like, this is fun. This is cool. And you guys as players, just the way you were with us as kids. And now I'm watching, um, as I said, my husband's coaching. I watch his players treat my kids like that. I mean, that's a really cool bond. And, and not just – it strengthens the family unit even more. And so I loved that bond that I had with you guys as a coach's kid. And I think it's really special and I'm thankful my dad took that approach. All right. So, um, not, we're not, you know, comparing any, anything like that, but when you went to Ohio state was did urban keep that same family oriented, uh, environment when he went over to, to Ohio state. I think he did. I think a lot of the, a lot of the traditions like you Ahmad would have recognized, um, you know, we still did candy on Thursday nights. If you remember that, like all the families would show up yep, and then we yep, all eat yep. together. Yeah. That was yep. very much still the same. Um, players still came over to the house and got in the pool. That was the same. So a lot of those tendencies, um, or a lot of those same traditions, you know, were here at Ohio state as well. All right, so I'm 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 throw this out there. A lot of you guys <laughs> don't know when Nikki was younger in her high school days, right? You know, and you know, sorry for Nikki's husband, but I guess she was dating a guy. And Urban used to <laughs> Urban used to tell the Pouncy twins to kind of like scare up Nikki's boyfriend. All right, so he would come to, to yeah. So so coach would get the Pouncy twins to kind of like make sure Nikki was going to be straight with her, with her dude or whatnot. So um not sure if you remember that, but that was, those were some of the, some of the great days as well. Oh man. 
I do. I remember exactly who it was. He might even listen to y'all's show because he's still in Gainesville and we're still good friends. He's a good buddy of mine. But that was like, those were the moments. So I'm telling you, there are moments where I'm like, man, I love that my dad. That's one of those where as a 15 year old girl, you're putting your face in your hands thinking like, oh my God, this is so embarrassing. <laughs> Definitely. What what was the what was it like leaving Gainesville? When it was time to um pack it all up, everything went down kind of dramatic. Um, from at least from the fan standpoint, what was it like when you're in when it was time to leave? It was like well, so I was in college at that point, like during their my family's transition. So I was probably a little bit distant, but you're right, it was dramatic. And regardless of where everyone was, we felt the. That was never how I imagined, especially because our time at Florida was not only great and memorable, but like extremely successful. So, so I think we would have felt the transition would have you know been different, but things just didn't play out as they weren't normal at all. Nothing that happened was planned or normal or expected. So I think it was one of those things that we're Florida fans, we always will be, but we're Urban Meyer fans. And so we just had to you know, get behind him like we always do as a family and say, okay, let's go. This is, this is what's next. And, and as we made that transition up to, you know, Columbus, there wasn't a, a minute where Florida was playing that we weren't watching if we didn't have a game of our own. So we, as a family still, you know, cheered really hard for, for the Gators. It was rough. Those were rough times. <laughs> it was tough, but they're back. Are you kidding me? Yeah, we back. Uncle Dan got us. Oh, he does. Him and Megan, by the way, are two of my favorite like people in the entire industry. They're fantastic, and this is all meant to be. I really believe like this was like meant to happen. You guys are back for sure. Hey, hey Nikki, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry to cut off Dan, um, but um, you know, just talk about really quickly. Um, do you remember? Coach Mullen and Megan and, and you know everyone back in the day though, um, I, I feel like Mullen is is has matured so much and is just like the perfect mm-hmm. person for our for our head coach. Oh yeah, and, and that like we still get to see all those people. Like, we still Mickey obviously like I see Dan and Megan. We they went to Tim Tebow's wedding together. My parents did in Africa, <laughs> so it's wow. like everyone's still very much connected. Um, Megan is great. I, yeah, I well. texted with her a few times. So, but yeah, everyone's changed a little bit, but when everyone gets back, gets back together, it's like the good old days, you know? Uh, yeah, definitely. I was just going to ask, besides Dan Mullen, how close, obviously there's been a, so many people that um, Urban Meyer has uh, you know, coached with and they've been promoted. How often does, does he stay uh, in touch and how close are you guys still with you know, the families of coaches that have been with him for, for quite some time? Very close. I mean, that, that's a bond. When you're put through like that type of you know, environment and stress and winning and um, the emotional – I think the emotions that are tied to that industry, like bond you for life with those people that you go through it with. So whether that be players um, or whether that be coaches, like those are just like family in the end. So I think like Adazio, we still see them all the time. My husband is best friends with Louie Adazio, who's Steve's son. So it's like, we're bound for life. And, you know, the Mullins and, you know, the Marathi is like, like I said, we're we're very close with with a lot of those people. And Chuck Heater, I think now is out coaching 
for Adazio at Colorado. So those bonds never yep, go away. Yep. You know, you know, you know, Chuck, my boy. Chuck was my coach, so. <laughs> so yeah. There you go. Yeah. There, there you go. So, um, so uh, let's talk about uh, you know, a few things that Gator fans are kind of you know, uh, want to, wanting to see happen. I, I met with Carr. I'm um, your friend Carr that you introduced mm-hmm. us to. Um, he, he's he's super mm-hmm. cool. Uh, Carr, if you're listening, uh, appreciate it. Uh, but let's talk about the Ring of Honor. Um, a lot of yeah. people in Gainesville would love to see your dad there. Can you talk about how he feels about the Gators still? And, and you know, um, does that sound like or seem like something that he will want to be part of? Oh, my gosh. I have full body chills. Like you say, like Ring of Honor and Urban Meyer in the same sentence. And, like, I'm emotional about that. And so if you intensify that by, like, a billion, that's how he would feel. And like just, it's like a dream. It's one of those things that, like, he's probably envisioned since, you know, he interviewed for the coaching job there to begin with, but such a prestigious group of people that you just, you know, would love to be part of. I mean, he's friends with Steve Spurrier and I mean, Gator, he's got Gator in his blood forever. We all do. Um, And so I think having that honor um, to be part of that group would just be, I I can't even talk about it without being emotional because that would just be so special. That's awesome, Nikki. Talk to us a little bit about uh, what you're what you're doing now. So I know that you're married. You have a, a couple of children that look beautiful, by the way. And you're married to the quarterback coach at Ohio State. Yep, I'm married to Corey Dennis. Um, he's the quarterbacks coach. Uh, so I'm still in it. I'm crazy. Like, what am I yeah. doing? I knew how nuts this life was, but I couldn't. Like, it's just too many of us in it. Go. I guess. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. So talk just a little bit about um, being in Columbus. Obviously, I know that your your dad is still, you know, probably connected to the program, but obviously no longer coaching. But one of his protégés, um, you know, is the the new head coach. Um, talk to us a little bit about that experience. Obviously, you see it from, you know, being married to a coach that's now coaching on a staff that your dad, you know, really kind of helped build up. What's what's that experience like for you now? It was like, it was a very dramatic December. So my husband is new. He just got this quarterback position um, in December. So early December, Steve Adazio was going to take him to Colorado. Coach, my husband was on quality control here last year. So I was part of, I was for once part of the conversations, like, where are we going to go? What are we going to do? What's this look like? You know, we got to move. Whereas I was along for the ride when my parents were having those conversations. So I like kind of took the front seat and my family is navigating that now. And it was just same experience, different or same, same situation, different experience, like different way of navigating. So it was very strange, but um, it's, it's, and it's hard to be a coach's wife, like coaches wives don't get enough credit. It's, it's tough, but I didn't realize my mom asks get her every day, and I'm just like, you're a complete saint. You're amazing. And I know what to expect. I, I Like, I should know better, right? So I'm thinking about these wives that come into this life. They're probably like, what the heck is this chaos? Because it yeah. is nuts. But it's fun. So who do you think brings your dad out? Um, or who would you like to bring your dad out for the ring of honor? Who would I like to bring him out? Yes. Oh, is it just one person, like, or is it like? I give you, I give you three. I kind of know three? two, but I will give you three. Three people. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I can't give you so many. 
You know, you have a model if I give you ten. Uh, <laughs> I want, I want a hundred. I want like all a hundred players that were with us, like for the championship years. Um, I would have to say Tim, right? Like my dad just went to Africa, like for his wedding. So this is, like they gotta be together yeah. for that. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I didn't, I didn't get that invite, Dan. If you're, if you're uh, wondering. Oh, I did. You didn't. I didn't either. I didn't either, and he got he came to my sister's wedding, and I'm like, wait a minute, why didn't we get to go to Africa? So I'm yeah, offended uh, as well. So it's okay. <laughs> um, I would say, I mean, I don't know. Like, don't you think like him and Timmy are kind of like the duo? Like, yeah, they are. Yeah. In yeah. me, me, I want to be out there. Okay. I want to. Can I nominate uh, you, you myself? For sure. I say, I say let Tim do it, man, because Tim gonna make it a warm welcome to Gator Nation. You know, I'm trying to tell you, if yeah. Tim did it, <laughs> I don't I, think I, we I, love we love all urban all urban kids, but I think if Tim's everybody's kid, he's all of our kids. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Really, technically, yeah. <laughs> all right. I agree. Well, well, hey Nick, uh, you know it was it was great uh, having you on our show. You're awesome. Uh, uh, maybe one day we can get your dad on the show. How how do you think you feel about that? I think he would do it. I'm telling you, he is like all Gator. He would be honored. So I think that's like the next step is, is we got to get him on here. He would love it. I'm yeah, black and I'm blushing over here. You're going to have a bunch of red cheeks uh, <laughs> <laughs> to this show, and, and, and they're going to be on our timeline asking when he's going to come. So we got we to gotta jump on Absolutely. that really, really quickly. What, what next? That's my mission. Yeah, for sure. Well, tell us where, where everyone can find you at and uh, like on your social media handles. Yeah, so and out of full disclosure, it's like all my kids. Like, I'm nothing exciting. It's just like my two crazy <laughs> children. <laughs> so um, you can find me on Instagram. I'm just Nikki underscore Meyer underscore Dennis. So just super simple. And I'm pretty active on Instagram. So if you like kids, like maybe you would like my page. And then Twitter, I'm kind of boring. I'm more of like a, like a spectator on Twitter. I don't really have a lot to say, but I'm on there. Um, And I'm just, (laughs) I'm just Nikki underscore, I think zero seven. Um, But I'm not very exciting on Twitter. I'm pretty quiet. (laughs) You sound like me on Twitter. Not, Not very exciting. Yeah. I agree for sure. <laughs> what else <laughs> All right, Nick. Well, thank you so much for coming and hanging out on Stadium Miguel. You're always welcome to to come out and uh, hang out and, and and talk some football with us. Go Gators! Thank y'all so much. This was fun. Yes, go Gators forever. For sure. And then and then I'll send you the link to so you can listen and see how 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 awesome our show is. Oh heck yeah! I'm gonna blast it out so I can get some some Buckeye people on there to listen to. There we go. There we go. That's what we like to hear. All righty. Take care. (laughs) Bye, Nikki. Bye. That was that was pretty fun. That was dope, bro. That was dope, dope, bro. It was was cool. That went very well. Good good shit, Amon. Dope interview, man. Let's just keep it rolling. Going going over to the next interview. Bring home baby Hammond. Uh, which is brought to you by Brown Insurance and Financial Services. Anything you need insured from the panhandle to the keys, hit my man Greg up, 954-589-2204. Anything you need insured, whether it's auto, home, uh, trailers, life, holla at my man Greg, 954-589-2204. Let's hang out with my man Hammond.
You have now arrived at Stadium and Gale. First time on the show, we had a special guest. The man himself, the the consistent, the reliable, Josh Hammond. Josh, what's going on, man? Not much, man. How are you doing? Just hanging out, man. Want to catch up with you and see what's going on, man. You got this NFL draft coming up. How's everything shaking? Well, well everything's going good. Uh, you know, right now, just trying to stay in shape. Uh, you know, I've been getting a lot of calls from a lot of different teams. And, uh, you know, just really excited to, you know, go through the experience and, uh, you know, see what happens, you know, these next couple of days. Now, you guys got derailed a little bit with um with the pro day. So how do you bounce back from that? What what was the the protocol and how you been um conducting yourself? Uh yeah, so the pro day got, you know, postponed at first and there was kinda, you know, we might do it later on. Cause, uh they were supposed to go back to campus like April fifteenth, but then they're like, Okay, well we'll just do it then. But then, you know, as things kinda got worse, it it got fully cancelled. So um from there, you know, me and my agent and the guys that I was training with at my you know, where I was training at my facility, just put together uh, kind of a pro day film and just kind of just filmed it from here, kind of before all the parks and stuff shut down, just to make sure we had the numbers and, you know, some authentic numbers to put out there. We had a scout come and time everything and uh, just kind of filmed it. And, uh, you know, my agent was able to send it out to all the teams and, uh, you know, I've gotten a lot of positive feedback from it. Okay, cool. How's the, um, what kind of advice you getting from Big Bro? Not much. Uh, you know, we don't really talk about football much. Uh, I probably I just hit him up not too long ago just to, you know, get kind of his take on it and ask how many teams he was kind of hearing from when he went through the process. But, uh, you know, he kind of lets me go through it on my own and, you know, get my kind of own experience from it. He doesn't really bombard me with, you know, the things he went through because, you know, it's going to be different for everybody. So what he went through might not be the same for me and, uh you know, he kind of just lets me do my own thing. And if I do have questions, you know, he'll help me do it for sure. That's dope, man. Have somebody that um kind of went through it before that you could you could kind of rely on if you do need that information. Are you in contact with other receivers yeah. or anybody else from the team? Are y'all communicating through this whole uh, COVID-19 trying to get drafted thing? Yeah, definitely. Uh, me, Freddie, Van, and Tyree, uh, we're all in a group chat. Uh, even with our younger guys are in there, Copeland, Kyle Pitts, and, you know, we're talking about it daily. Uh, I don't think it's a day go by, especially since this, you know, COVID-19 stuff has popped up that we haven't spoke uh, on a day-to-day basis. You know, we definitely keep in contact. We got a group FaceTime and all talk to each other about, you know, the different things we're hearing. And, you know, just try to stay in touch with each other. And, uh, you know, we're all excited. It's going to be a special moment for all of us. And uh, we just try to, you know, let the young guys kind of know what it's like and give them something to look forward to in the future. Uh, so Josh, uh, I think first things first is we need to clear the air um, that it was not Nick Delatore uh, that came up with your nickname that uh, stuck with you throughout all of college. It was me, um, and the reason I came up with that is because you were in—I think you were in high school and you had just committed and you did an interview, and uh, and you were talking about how you don't really like um, Krispy Kreme. But you like chicken wings a lot. I was like, oh, so instead of hot light ham and hot sauce ham. And, and then I texted that to Nick and he stole it. So I just want to clear the air that uh, that your nickname came from me. But <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, so Josh, tell us a little bit about how you're preparing. I know you, you talked a little bit about, you know, you doing things on your own. But but how are you preparing? Um, are you able to go 
to like a gym by yourself or, or how are you preparing for, uh, for the NFL? Uh, yeah, so I'm still working out, doing the same things that I've kind of been doing. Like, this whole process of my life really hasn't really changed much. Um, you know, I still go to my gym. We just, I mean, they closed it, but they still kind of worked through with a couple guys. I think only like five of us being there. Um, just kind of the guys that's kind of going through this situation just so that we can stay in shape. Because uh, when it does get rolling, we know it's going to get rolling fast, and we just got to be prepared for it, so. And then what what have you been uh, hearing from from NFL teams about you know what to expect once you know a player does get drafted or gets picked up on, on in free agency of, of what that process is going to look like after? Uh, that it's just going to happen really fast. Uh, you know this year is kind of different because they you know didn't get to go through all their physicals and stuff and their thirty visits and have the private workouts with guys that they would have had. So. Um, you know, they're definitely kind of prepared for a little bit of chaos. Um, I know it's going to be very chaotic and probably a lot of different names that pop up that probably wouldn't have been expected. Um, but, you know, you just got to be ready for it. I think it's going to be very different from probably any of the drafts in the past because um, this has never happened before. So, uh, you know, just continuing to just be ready, have my phone ready, and, you know, whatever happens, happens. I love it. So let's let's go back to to your high school your high school days. Um, obviously, your brother played at the University of Florida, but you were a highly touted or touted uh, recruit coming out of high school yourself. How did you ultimately decide uh, on the University of Florida? Um, yeah, so I went to a lot of different schools. I took a lot of different visits with Frankie uh, during his off season. I went to Ohio State, Michigan, Notre Dame, LSU, Georgia. North Carolina, NC State, I pretty much went all over the country and I got to, you know, go through a lot of different schools just to see kind of the campus and, you know, the fit and, you know, see if I kind of liked it. But, um, you know, when I went to all those schools, none of them felt like home. Uh, every time I went to Gainesville, it felt like home. It felt like that's where I belong. Uh, I've been going there since I was nine years old. So, um, you know, I seen Florida when it was at its prime and, you know, Ahmad Black and Percy Harvin, Tim Tebow, the Major Rice and all those guys were there. So I saw it in its prime and that's when I remembered. And, uh, you know, I just wanted to be a part of that because it's definitely something special. Hey, what were you? What were, go ahead, Bob. Hey, John. So I know you say you want uh, Frankie, you know, go through a little bit um as a young cat mm -hmm. um what was playing with the gators anything different than you expected from watching your brother uh yeah it is different you know looking at it from a, a spectating position it's a completely different feeling when you're actually you know in the locker room running out of the tunnel and, and about to play the game uh it's a completely different feeling from watching it's a feeling that can't really be explained it's kind of surreal um, you know, I remember my first time running out the tunnel, you know, I was like filled with butterflies, but like super ecstatic as well. And then the, the feeling never goes away. It happens every time you run out of the tunnel. It's one of those special feelings that you get. And, you know, I don't think it can be duplicated, uh, you know, from running out of that tunnel. So it's definitely different for sure. <laughs> so I'm going to ask this question. This is a little funny one. Um, 
uh, a lot of people don't know you, uh, you and Frank's mom and mom keep in touch. They're like one of the best friends mm-hmm. as parents. You know, they still keep in touch to this day. Uh, and I know your dad and your, and your whole family. Um, and they're great people. But <laughs> do you and Frankie ever talk about y'all stats or anything at, at the dinner table? About who, who caught more passes? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, not really. Uh, we don't really talk about stats or anything like that. We try to just, you know, we, we don't really talk much about football. It, it, it would pop up on occasions. Uh, if it does, I, I know I've won and all of them, uh, even from back to high school. So <laughs> okay. yeah, I'll uh, never have to you know, on him. get the I bad end of the stick. Oh, but, uh, <laughs> uh, all right. So talk about, uh, a little bit, uh, about you know I'm you know I'm not we we touched on it already but talk about uh, the preparation going into getting ready for the draft what type of things do you need you feel like you need to go on as a as a player to get get yourself prepared for the next level I think I just kind of need to be a sponge I'm going to walk into a new environment uh, with a bunch of different guys that I don't know it's going to be a completely new different set up completely new different scheme completely you know new different everything for me a new experience so just to try to soak up as much knowledge as I can to better prepare myself and better equip myself to be successful at the next level is I think the biggest thing for me uh you know at the end of the day football is still football I know that as the levels go up the speed increases and you know the game moves a little bit faster but uh, at the end of the day, you know, a three-step slam will always be a three-step slam, and catching the football is always going to be catching the football. So uh, just trying to learn as much as I can and soak up as much knowledge uh, as I can from a lot of the guys that's already in the NFL so that I can try to, you know, create my own career tenure as well. Hey, uh, Josh, you, you came – when you got the U up, it was ugly. Um, you went through some ugly offenses, uh, but you leave it on a high note. Tell us more. What's what's that like? What's that whole of coming here, struggling with the offense, uh, struggling with the coach you you, you signed up for, and then Dan Mullen showing up and, and you guys leaving on the high note? Uh, yeah, definitely. You know, tough going through coaching changes. Uh, when I got there, we were okay offensively. We had a really stacked defense that I think probably carried us to where we got. Uh, we played an SEC championship game, but lost to Bama. Um, then that next year, we really took a dip. Uh, we had a lot of guys suspended for, you know, off the field issues for that year. And I think that probably hurt us, you know, just as bad as well. And, uh, you know, when Coach Munnan came in, he definitely, you know, turned everything around. Uh, his whole philosophy about how to work and the work that we put in definitely, you know, got ingrained into our brains and allowed us to play the way we played and you know it definitely showed uh, I think we played ex- exceptionally well uh you know these past two years and it's only going to continue to get better and better and better hey Josh what what do you think you owe Dan Mullen and and his staff for that uh you know because a lot of it was the same guys you know that were were on the roster uh, you know there wasn't a huge roster turnover uh but the product on the field was so different so what was it about you know Dan Mullen and his staff's ability to communicate and and teach and, and ultimately bring you know you guys together uh yeah just preparing us for you know those adverse situations that we would see uh, on a week-to-week basis in, in SEC play. Uh, you know, every SEC team you play is, you know, very competitive and, you know, it's coming out to beat you. And, uh, you know, we definitely had a target on our back, as we always do. So uh, just, you know, playing with that confidence and knowing that the work that we put in throughout the week 
and throughout the offseason was going to prepare us to, you know, be successful to help us win as many games as we can throughout the season. Speaking of the offseason, talk to us a little bit about Nick Savage and, and what he uh, what he did for y'all. Uh, yeah, Savage is, you know, one of the top strength coaches, I would say, in the country. Uh, you know, he comes in juiced up every day and gets guys amped to go, you know, no matter how moody or how sad he may be, you know, once you walk in that building, he's a guy that you can always look to for, you know, just joy and uh, excitement uh, for the game of football. And, uh, you know, he's always like that. I think that's one thing I've kind of admired about him. Because, right, you know, you're going to have those days where, you know, you're tired and don't feel like doing it. But, you know, Coach Savage doesn't have those days. And it's his job to make sure everybody's on point and get guys going to perform at the level that they should be performing to so that they can get better. And ultimately, once everybody gets better, we can grow into the football team that we want to be. Josh, what was your favorite memory uh, in the Swamp or playing for UF? Uh, favorite memory, 2017, Tennessee, Tyree Cleveland, Hail Mary. Let's go. <laughs> That's the Hammond answer. That's the Hammond answer, though, right there. So <laughs> I was going to say, not even about, not even about himself. Well, you know. Uh, you know Everybody else good. we've had on the show is the one play that they made, the one play uh, you know, that they blocked for. But for you, I was watching Tyree Cleveland catch a uh, – <laughs> Catch a deep ball. I love it, man. What uh, what was your favorite rivalry to play in? Uh, I think my favorite rivalry is, is LSU. Uh, you know, they're always the top team in the country. And uh, I think they have a little bit more say and more destiny to, to where we try to get to, which is Atlanta. So LSU and, and Georgia are probably the top two rivalries for me. Josh, you wasn't the fastest, wasn't the strongest, wasn't the biggest, but for some reason you was always open. And when you got open, you didn't drop balls. What do you What do you hang your hat on? I think it's just preparation. Uh, you know, just going into work every day, uh, catching jugs after practice, and, and focusing on myself and trying to be, you know, the best version of me. And you know, like I said, just soaking up knowledge to understand, you know, what the quarterback's thinking, what their reads are, what the defense is doing and find my Knicks and Max to find ways for me to get it open and to make myself successful. And I think that's something I did really well. And, you know, it, it definitely worked for me. Now, I know you're aware that everybody on social media think you're 106 years old, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Do the players uh, make yeah. fun, of you, fun of you with that stuff? How's that work in the locker room? Uh, not really. I don't think it, it, it started in the locker room until it started on Twitter. Uh, it was the throwback pitches that we did. We yep. did it for the judge reveal. That's when it kind of went and went all over the place. Now we lose a lot of uh, leadership in the wide receiver room. You got some guys, uh, mm -hmm. some a lot of talent left there. But like I said, we're missing some leadership. The, the, the main leader coming back is Grimes. How you see that room working out in the future, man? Uh, it's definitely gonna work out. Uh, Who's a sleeper we don't know guys, about? Not even just sleeper you guys don't know about. Rick Wells. I think Rick Wells is the sleeper nobody knows about. And I think all the freshmen will be kind of guys that pop up. Uh, Jamar is Trent, and uh, Deontay. I think those four, including the three that's there, Copeland, Kadarius, and Trey, 
I think those those seven guys would be kind of the core group of guys that that have a lot of you know receptions and yards that that's accounted for. Man, I appreciate you coming on and hanging out with us, man. Before we get you out of here, um, I want to ask you about the quarterback situation. Uh, I know you guys were close with Franks, and he's he's gone. He's transferred elsewhere. I want to know what your relationship like with him, and also uh, how impressed were you were with, with uh, Kyle Trask? Uh, yeah, definitely. Not just Felipe. Me, Felipe, Kyle, Emery, uh, all of us are extremely close. We spend a lot of time together outside, off the field. Um you know, Felipe is probably a little bit more playful than the, than the others in regards to, you know, like playing video games and being on Fortnite and things like that. Um, but, uh, yeah, when Felipe got hurt, uh, you know, we knew Kyle would step in and do everything that he did. There was no doubt uh, from everybody inside the building that he wasn't capable of doing what he did. So, it was kind of no shocker for us. It was just him kind of growing the confidence in himself to do it, but we all knew that he could do it. And I think even he knew he could do it. He just had to be put in the position to do it. And uh, Coach Mullen did a really good job of, you know, playing to Kyle's strengths. Once we kind of got as him as our starting quarterback, you know, not as much kind of QB runs, unless it was like, you know, fourth and one to kind of throw some teams off. But a little bit more quick passes and things like that. And because uh, Felipe was definitely more of a runner than Kyle was. So Mullen did a good job of playing for their strengths. And then, you know, Emery came in and did the things he needed to do when our, whenever we needed him. And he played exceptionally well, too. And uh, he's going to be a good quarterback in the future as well. Hey, man, appreciate the interview. Appreciate you as a Gator. Appreciate you for uh, being consistent, showing up, you know what I'm saying, being the leader on the field, man. Good luck with the draft. We rooting for you, dog. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. All right, go Gators. Go Gators. Man, Dan, Dan, Dan had to get his credit. Dan wanted his. He wanted his royalties. I just want to make sure everybody knows Nick has tried to claim it for a long, long time, and I'm tired of. Uh, I'm tired of getting stepped on. You know. I'm tired of, uh, you know, being the odd man out. You know, you come up with something creative. It sticks with somebody their entire career. Right. Somebody go and just swagger jacks it from me, you know? Yeah, use your platform to, to, you know what I'm saying, to boss up on him a little bit. Swagger jack right back. (laughs) Especially when he's not here to defend himself, you know? That's the best time. Yeah, he's going to try to type an article up for you now. (laughs) That's right. I love it, man. Well, we got one more guest tonight. Uh, what do you think about getting the voice of the Gators to end our show up tonight? Man, I'm always down to hang out with Mick, man. You know the vibes, man. Damn, let's try it. You have now arrived at Stadium and Gale. And then joining us for the first time on Stadium and Gale is a voice that everybody has heard. Our friend, voice of the Florida Gators, Mick Hubert. Mick, how are you doing this evening? Hey, I'm doing great. And uh, it's one of the few uh, times I've actually been public speaking in about six weeks. <laughs> so I'm maybe a little it. rusty tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Anything we can do to make sure those vocal cords are in, in top shape. <laughs> Uh, Mick, you know, I know your story a bit. I grew up listening uh, to you. My parents would mute the TV and try to uh, match up the radio with the uh, with the TV growing up. So I got to hear you all the time growing up. But talk to us a little bit how you ended up uh, at the University of Florida. 
Well, you know, I mean, I, you know, I really, since I was a time, I was probably seven or eight years old. I wanted to be a sportscaster. And I grew up just south of Chicago. It was a great place to grow up because it was the middle of America. And uh, really back in those days, there weren't a lot of sports on FM radio. You had to really get your radio stuff on AM radio. And the reason I point this out is the AM stands for amplitude modulation. That's what AM is. So what that means is your radio waves bounce off the earth up into the sky and bounce. And it does it better on good, rich, uh, fertile, like black soil. You know, it doesn't, but the, the radio waves don't bounce very well on sand. They do bounce very well on water. Uh, that's why you can be in Tampa and hear a little radio station, maybe in Pensacola, because it'd be bouncing across the Gulf. Likewise, growing up in the Midwest, I could hear radio stations from all over the country. I mean, it was, you know, I could hear them from New York to, uh, Dallas to, uh, to Denver to Atlanta to New Orleans and so as a kid I just fantasized about uh, being a sportscaster listen to these games and it didn't matter who was playing it was it was it tapped into a little boy's vivid imagination uh, and so every game to me was the biggest game going and uh, so that's what I wanted to do and I pursued that dream and I, I I went to school at Illinois State and got a broadcast degree there and then got a job up the road in Peoria Illinois and was lucky enough at about age 23, I think, 24, to be calling Bradley Braves basketball in the Missouri Valley Conference. And I was there at a time when Larry Bird was playing for Indiana State. So, you know, really, truly, uh, those would be called mid-majors today, but that term never really existed back in those days. We were Division One, and shoot, we're playing Indiana State home and home, and they're number one team in the country. So we never felt like we were, uh, you know, uh, a smaller type of a school, but in reality, that's kind of way it is today. So I did the Bradley Braves for three years and then applied over in Dayton, Ohio, and got a job with, at a radio and TV station in Dayton doing the Dayton Flyers uh, Division One basketball. And it was Division Three football, small, small-time football. But, you know, if I'm doing a Dayton game, say, against Baldwin-Wallace, which is a little school in the Cleveland suburbs kind of. To me, Dayton and Baldwin-Wallace, in my mind, was like doing Ohio State and Michigan. It didn't matter who was playing or the size of the stadium. I mean, I was uh, I was attacking that game, calling that game like it was the, the biggest game going. So I always had that training. So, you know, when uh, the Florida job opened, I sent a tape, and there were about 150 people applied. And, uh, you know, they uh, they called me. One of the, David Steele, who was the voice of the Gators at the time for about seven years was knew he was leaving and you become the, the voice of the Orlando magic. Well, David was on the search committee, uh, initially, and David's job was to take these 150 tapes and basically throw out about 140 of them, get them down to about eight or 10. And then, uh, you know, the other people would come in and take over. And so, uh, David called me, uh, you know, after about a month or five weeks and said, are you interested? We've heard from just about everybody else, but you, and I said, yeah, I'm extremely interested. But at the time I was also, uh, in spring training with the Cincinnati Reds. I was covering spring training in, down in, uh, in, in Plant City, and I was also doing the NCAA basketball tournament. This was the year prior to CBS getting the rights. This was back in the middle to late 80s. So I was, uh, again, I, I, I'm very blessed to be a young broadcaster in a little TV station in Dayton, Ohio. It was called upon to do NCAA tournament basketball games. So my month was really filled up with those two events since I hadn't had time to, to call. So I told David Steele, I said, yeah, I'm very interested. He said, well, we'd like for you to come down. And I came down and interviewed, and I was here a couple of days. And, you know, the, the next day I went back, Bill Arnsberger, who was the athletic director at the time, mm -hmm. called me up. I got back about 2 in the morning. About 7 o'clock that next morning, 
he called me and I was half my wife was a school teacher. So she'd already gotten up and gone off to school. And I was back. I went back to bed because I was doing the six o'clock and the 11 o'clock TV sports. So I was not really a morning person at that point. So he wakes me up and I, his voice is, uh, well, you, you wanna, this is Coach Arnsbarger. I'm, I'm thinking my, my mind going, who, who, you know, I'm half asleep. <laughs> He's just Coach Arnsbarger. He says, you, 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 you want to be a Gator? And I'm thinking, oh, oh, oh Coach Arnsbarger. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And so, you know, I, I tell that story, but it really was by the grace of God that got me here because I had no ties whatsoever growing up in the Midwest and uh, just a kid chasing a dream. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't think twice about coming to Florida in 1989. Yeah. And so this is, I'm wrapping up 31 years and it's, it's been a blur. I remember so many of those early games like they're just for a year or two ago. And it's been a great career and one that I hope continues for a few more seasons anyway. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So Mick, obviously everybody is familiar with, with some of your big calls. The Doring's got a touchdown, but probably your most is your, your, your big oh my's. Where, where did that come from? Does that predate your time in Florida or how did you ultimately land on that and decide that that would be your, uh, your big catchphrase? Well, when, when I was in college at Illinois State back in the middle 70s, I had two mentors. One was a guy about 20 years older than me. Another guy was about five or six years older than me. They were local broadcasters who I, I respected, and they would listen to my tapes and critique them. And it was kind of an independent study type of thing because really Illinois State didn't have, you know, not many schools had really broadcast sportscaster classes. So a lot of that was independent study. You kind of had to be your own self-starter. And so the youngest of the two mentors ended up getting a job out in Ventura, California, out near L.A. So he would send me back tapes of Dick Enberg calling Los Angeles Rams games on KMPC radio in Los Angeles. And I'm listening to Dick Enberg and, you know, Merlin Olson's playing for the Rams and, you know, and all back in those days. And I'm thinking, this is great stuff. And I listen to his voice. Dick Enberg was was a, a pretty big name in those days, but nowhere near what he would become at that point. He was still kind of a local guy. Uh, doing sports out there in Los Angeles. So he was using Oh My, and I thought, you know what? That could be a thing I could use because when I was a kid growing up, they always used to say, you know, Mick, what do you want to do? I said, well, I want to be a sportscaster. And they said, well, you want to be a sportscaster? You've got to come up with a catchphrase. This is when I was 8, 9, 10, 12, 14 years old, you know, because I was in the Chicago area. I, I'd listened to Harry Carey, and he had, you know, holy cow, you know. And then there was Jack Brickhouse who did the Cubs, and his big thing was, hey, hey. Hey, when the Cubs get a home run, it was, hey, hey, you know. In fact, just a sidebar, if you go to Wrigley Field, the, one of the, one, the left field foul pole, you know, has the words, hey, hey, on it. And the right field foul pole had the words, uh, holy cow, on it as, tr as testimony to the two sportscasters who called the Cubs game. So, you know, I thought, okay, here's, this is oh my. And, uh, you know, I have a little different inflection. Dick was basically largely did, used it a lot on television, but I, I, I use it more on radio. So my inflection is a little different. Uh, but, uh, I, I took it from him and, and used it. And, and, and I did Bradley basketball in the late seventies and of course over to Dayton. And when I came here to, uh, Gainesville, uh, one of the very first interviews I ever did the reporter asked me about it. And I ended up uh, t telling, uh, telling the reporter about it. And the reporter had no clue, had no clue of Dick Enberg or anything like that. I remember I come home and tell my wife, I said, you know, I think it's going to work down here, but I don't think many people ever heard of Dick Enberg down in Florida, you know, so it's going to look like I, I invented it when, in fact, I, I got it from Dick Enberg. And, uh, probably about 15 years ago, I, I met Dick Enberg. He had just come over to CBS. He had left NBC. He'd come to CBS, and that year he was assigned to do the SEC men's basketball tournament. 
And there was Dick Enberg sitting courtside. And I thought, this is my moment. I got to go over there and introduce. It was the day before all the teams were out shooting around. It was the day before the tournament started. So I went over and introduced myself to him. And, and he was a great gentleman. And uh, it listened to my story. And I told him how I, I stole it from him, you know, and, and everything like that. He was just, he was honored. And then a few, and also Steve Spurrier had played in a golf tournament out in Reno, Nevada. And Dick Enberg was also out there with one of those celebrity pro-am golf events. And so Dick was, uh, Coach Spurrier was telling Dick Enberg, but, you know, our guy back there does the Gators. He, he, he uses oh my, but he credits you for it, though. This is before I'd met Dick Enberg. He said, he credits you. And Dick Enberg looked at Steve Spurrier, and uh, Steve told me the story. He said, Enberg looked at me. He, he looked at me a long time. He said, well, you know what? You tell your guy back there that I stole oh my from a broadcaster back in the 1940s. So, you know, that's kind of what we do in radio. We kind of beg, borrow, and steal from one another. And I hear other people use oh my, I think that's great. Mm-hmm. And I hear other sportscasters uh, have their own little phrases. And I think, you know what, that's good for you to use, but I would never use that. That's not my personality. But it's great for you. Go ahead and keep doing it. But I'm not going to take that. The, uh, the uh, oh my just kind of rang true for me. And, and it just means so many different things to so many people, you know. I mean, it basically it's when the Gators do something good, I use that 99% of the time. But there have been times when we've done something not so good. And I also joke that it's kept me on the air because I could have said, oh, something else. Yeah. And I, would have been, <laughs> I would have been fired. So, oh, my, kind of covers all the bases a little bit, you know. So I use that. And uh, I, I never know when I'm going to say it. And some people, I've been criticized by saying it too much. Or I said, I don't count them. I don't know. I, you know, it's, yeah. all, it's all ad lib. There's no script. And, and, so, and likewise, some people say, you know, Mick, on such and such a play, uh, I thought that was an oh my play and you never use it. I said, you know what? <laughs> it didn't strike me as an oh my play, but uh, if, you're in, if you're sitting in row 47 and you think it was an oh my play, then go for it. You know, I love <laughs> it. Use, you good use. You can tell the people sitting next to you, that was an oh my play. And they'll say, didn't make sense. No, I'm saying it. <laughs> <laughs> I, always, I always say, I know Mod's going to jump here in a second, but I always tell people that plagiarism is the most sincere form of flattery. So there you go. Yeah. Hey man, I, yeah, I, I mean, I'm 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 flattered and kind of honored because I played some games where you use insane asylum. So, <laughs> is, yeah. is that is that another level? Is that, is that another level to to the apply or what? You know, I I'll be honest, I'll be honest, be really honest with you. This sounds really weird. I think I took it from somebody, and I can't remember who. <laughs> I, 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 I think I got it from somebody. Now, there are, there are some things, you know, that you say and, uh, you know, that you come up with. And, uh, and, you know, but that I remember remarking that in the 1997 Florida-Florida State game yep. when we had the great rally to win it. And I said, this place is an insane asylum in the swamp. And uh, I've used it a couple of times since. But you know what? The political correctness is such today that, I don't know that I've used it lately. I'd probably get called yeah. on the carpet for saying something like that today, you know, but you know, it's, it's a harmless phrase. I mean, you look at, you look down on the stadium and it's pandemonium. People are going crazy. And, uh, you know, and, you know, especially when we're in the swamp like that. And, uh, and I, I think I've used it a time or two since I think I used it, uh, in one of the recent Florida wins over Tennessee, you know, uh, it may have been the, uh, the, the, the lat, the most recent win when we threw the pass, you know, got behind them, and uh, you know there, there was that one, and uh, we scored the touchdown there. And then, but you know that was I think in 2017. I think it was in 2015, two years prior to that, 
that's when uh, we threw a little slant pass, a crossing pattern to Antonio Callaway, and he made oh. the catch and then turned turned toward the uh, Gator sideline, the west sideline, then turned up the sideline and, and raced into the southwest corner. And I remember saying at that time, you know, he's going to score. He's going to score. He's going to score. And uh, I, I, I can't remember if it was that game or the game two years later when we beat Tennessee that I threw it out there that uh, no, it's an insane asylum in the swamp. And I think that I, it may have been the first time because – the second time, I remember stealing uh, using another line that I stole uh, because it just hit me. I mean, I don't have these things written down at all. But I remember what the, the you sure about that, Mick? The long, the long pass that we the long pass that we scored on uh, to beat Tennessee in 2017. I remember saying, "I don't believe what I just saw," and that was a phrase that that Jack Buck had er, used. Uh, when Kirk Gibson hit the home run in the 1988 World Series, he, he says, I can't believe what I've just seen or something to that effect. And I didn't realize th- that I was going to use that. And after I used it and said, it, I'm going, oh, my gosh, that was a tribute to Jack Buck, which was 30 years earlier. So obviously there was a generation of fans who had never heard Jack Buck say that in 1988. So, you know, it, it is that's the beauty of sportscasting, a live play by play. You know, you, you, you never know what you're going to say. And, and I'll tell you what, guys, I. I one thing I do before every game is I, I say a little prayer and that's basically Lord, give me the eyes to see and the words to say, because, uh, you know, you don't, it's not like a sports writer. You know, I don't have a, I don't have a backspace on my keyboard. I get one chance and one chance only. And, uh, you hopefully you get it right because there is no take two when you're doing live play by play. All right. So, go ahead. All right. So I know I have one for you. Um, at Florida, we're like an everything school as far as our sport and academics. Mm-hmm. I know you, I know you're all star, um, well, superstar. Uh, we should say. Uh, what What's your favorite sport to cover? Yeah, that's a real hard one because I the big three that I do are is football, basketball, and baseball, and I have an equal love for almost all of them for different reasons. Uh, we, you know, let me, let me start by saying. I love basketball if I when I because I get to call the game on the floor. Now, as the reason I'm prefacing this is uh, with with a lot of arenas nowadays, and especially in the NBA, these courtside seats are sold to people that are paying a lot of money for these seats. So a lot of radio broadcasters of the NBA have been kicked up to the rafters, way up high. So um, I, I've been to Madison Square Garden many times broadcasting on the floor. But the last few years we've been to Madison Square Garden, we've been kicked up to the Raptors, and it ain't the same. There's just you, you, you just don't you don't hear the game, you don't feel the game, you can't touch the game, and so I don't like doing basketball upstairs. Having said that, you would never want to do a football game on the field. You couldn't see anything. You need to be upstairs. So there's a di- I love basketball because I can I can I can hear the ball bounce. I can hear the shoes squeak. I can hear the whistles. I can see the players' faces, you know, and you better be ready because if there's a loose ball coming at your table, you better get up and get out of the way. You're going to get run over. So you, you're engaged in the game as like you're on the floor, one of the players. On football, you're high, back, and far. And so I take my emotions in football from the crowd. In basketball, I take my emotions from the players. But in football, it's from the crowd and because they're, they're the ones that are below me. Baseball is a totally different sport because – you know, a three-and-a-half-hour game, you could condense it into about 30 minutes if you just had balls and strikes, balls and strikes, ground balls, fly balls, home runs, boom, game over. 
But the beauty of the baseball broadcaster is he has to be able to fill the stories in, he has to fill it in the blanks because there is so much time. And that's why in this profession of radio play-by-play, a young guy, a young professional, say 25, 30 years old, can become somewhat proficient at play-by-play in basketball. But in baseball, the older guys are the best guys because they've had maybe 40 or 50 years of experience of telling stories. So that's why you've got baseball broadcasters that are working when they're 75, 80, 85 years old. I mean, Ben Scully worked until he was 88 years old. And Ernie Harwell did it up into his 80s. And, you know, Dick Enberg called baseball until he passed away in 85. So it's because the game's a little slower. And, but you also have the, 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 the ebb and flow of the game. You can tell stories and stuff. You can't really get into a lot of storytelling in basketball when they got a 30-second shot clock. You just got to follow the ball. Football is kind of a uh, in-between. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a play clock, but every, game, but every play starts and stops. So there's a stop and a start to every play. So you can kind of, uh, you, you know, work stories in when the time is right. And I tell you what, I've also been blessed – tremendously by the broadcasters I've worked with. I mean, you know, in football, I've worked with Lee McGriff on two different occasions, but a total of over 20 years. So you get to know somebody really well, how to work together with someone. And in basketball, I worked with Mark Wise for over 20 years. And doing Gator baseball, I worked with Nick Belmonte, who played for the Gators in the 70s and is a, a, a scout with the Chicago Cubs now, lives in Tampa. I worked with him my whole career. Every year I've had Gator baseball, 31 seasons I've worked with Nick Balmani when it comes to the television broadcast. So, I, I mean, I, I, I would owe a lot to those guys and how to work with those, with those particular guys. And, uh, you know, that's, that's been a, it, it's, been a, it's been a real Camelot experience for me. And to be able to do all three sports, and like I said, if it's September or October, I want to do football. Uh, I'm not really doing, I'm not really into football in, in January and February, you know, I'm calling the middle of the SEC basketball season. And likewise, in normal situations in April and May, I'm calling baseball. And, you know, that's why, uh, you know, I, I don't see a lot of spring football practice when, when it's happening because I'm doing basketball tournament and I'm maybe doing baseball. So I don't really need to know a whole lot about how the Gators are looking on March 23rd when I won't need to apply that knowledge until well past August 23rd. I'll have plenty of time to get ready for it. And that's why also I also tell the story that when people ask me what my favorite sport is, I say, well, you know what? You really need to ask me what my favorite season is because, uh, you know, I, I enjoy my seasons. And so they say, well, what, what is your favorite season? I'll say, the off season, <laughs> you know, in June and July, when I don't have to do anything, I enjoy that because I always know, you know, by the end of July, I'm chomping at the bit to get ready for football. But likewise, I don't live, eat and breathe football 52 weeks a year. I, I love the, the variety of all the sports that I do, but I also know I'm getting a little antsy by the end of July. That it's, it's time to get to training camp, time to get, time to get studying. And uh, boy, that, that's a, that's a fun time. And, and I'm looking so forward, especially this year, based on what's happening right now in the world that uh, to get back into watching some football practice in August, that'll, that'll be a wonderful day. Yeah. That was my next question. What, what are you hearing? What do you think happens this fall? You know, I, I'm an optimist. I really am an optimist. I look on the bright side of things. The glass is half empty. It's not half full. I just don't want to live my life 
hearing about the negative all the time. I, I, I don't, when I got started coming out of college, I was working for radio and TV stations doing, like I said, the six and 11 o'clock newscast. And so when you're working in those newsrooms like that, the, you're, you're around a very negative, uh, cynical environment. That's just the nature of the beast. There's not a lot of, uh, broadcasts that talk about good news. It's always bad news. And so you, you kind of get immune to all that bad news. And I've worked at that for about 15 years till I got out of that. And uh, it, it's a lot better for me just to be on the positive, bright side of things. I, I want to feed my soul, feed my spirit with, with positive things, not all the negative things. It, you can get into an endless nonstop. You just beat yourself up every single day if you just didn't take all that, that stuff in. So having said that, uh, I've had a lot of people ask me, they're very nervous about the season. And I always say, look, I have no inside information at all. I have nothing. I know any, nothing more than anybody else does. I'm not going to worry about something that's going to happen. You know, this, this may have been say April 10th or something. Somebody might ask me that. I'm saying, I'm not going to, I'm not going to worry about something that's going to take place September 10th when it's April 10th, when it's five months away, you know, and I kind of have that same feeling today. I mean, if we can get back into training camp sometime in August, you know, I, I don't, you know, I, I think we can, we can play and I'm, I'm confident that, that there'll be a season and I'm hopeful that there'll be a season that starts on time and, and runs normal. Now, you know, a lot of people would say, boy, you've got a real Pollyanna view on things or, you know, I'd say, hey, well, you know, I'd, I'd rather, I'm not going to sit there and say, oh boy, there's no football. I mean, I, I've heard people say they're not going to be sports for a year. Well, we got to wear these face masks for a year. I'm going, oh, come on. Nobody knows that. Nobody knows if you're going to have to wear it for a year. Uh, we, we might. We, we, we might. I might be sitting here a year from now saying, boy, I can't believe this thing went 12 months, but I'm not going to worry about it now. So I'm hopeful that we'll be back playing. And, uh, you know, I think obviously the thing is I'm hearing that to do that, we're going to have to get back in the classroom. I mean, I don't think they're going to have online classes in September and October and expect football players to be back on campus practicing and playing games on Saturday unless there's a real change of uh, philosophy than what I'm hearing right now. And so, you know, I guess the summer's classes are can be online here, but uh, I don't think anybody knows what, what will hold forth, you know, when classes are scheduled to resume for the fall semester. And that's usually what, around August 20th or something like that. So I'm hopeful that we get good solid four months and this thing will be, you know, we'll be in the rear view mirror by then. So I'm going to be remain optimistic that, It'll be like it always was. And I don't know how many, I don't know what it'll be in the stadium. I mean, I don't know how they're going to do that. I, they may not be 90,000 people in the stadiums anymore, uh, but that, that's, that's not something for me to worry about. You know, uh, how, how would you like, about, how would it be? Um, have you thought about calling the game? How do the fans affect like what you do? You know, uh, I have to look at that two ways. I have to look at it on one way, say the fans have little to no effect on what I do. And at the other side of the coin, 180 degree difference in that is the fans have everything to do what I do because <laughs> uh, without the fans, I wouldn't have a job. I mean, there would be no need to do this. So I realized the importance of this. And, and that's one of the reasons why I've been able to stay with the Gators for 30 years is that I've been so well received by the Gator nation. And uh, I only know how, you know what? You know, when I got this job, I knew how to do play-by-play. I'd done play-by-play for 13 years. I was not a novice, not a rookie, but I was brand new to this market. I got here when I was 35 years old, and I had enough maturity then to know that, hey, I know how to do this, and this is the way I'm going to do it. But I also knew that it might not go over here. They may not like the way I do it. Well, that don't mean I'm a failure. That just means i got to find another market where I'll be 
well-received. I was well-received in Peoria, Illinois, and in Dayton, Ohio, and I had no reason to think the state of Florida wouldn't be the same way, but I didn't know that. And so it turned out that, you know, one year led to two to three to five. And then by year seven, we won the 1996 national championship. And, you know, here we go. We're off and running. And uh, I've just been very blessed, very well received. But uh, getting back to what I said earlier, when I was doing those division three games before 3000 people in almost high school like stadiums, it didn't bother me that there, there were only 2,500 people there. It didn't bother me. There may have only been uh, 500 people listening. I was calling that game like it was the Big Ten game of the week, like it was Ohio State, Michigan. It was Notre Dame and Southern California, you know, Florida, Georgia, you name it. That was my mindset. And so when I sent my tapes out, I wanted my tapes to sound like they were big time tapes, not like, who is this? And what does it sound like a high school game? You know, yeah, I didn't want it to sound like that. So, so from that standpoint, I learned the, the significance of making every play a significant play because you have to have the mindset that every game is, is a big game. And over the years, people have asked me about big games. I say, well, you know what? I, I, this sounds a little crazy, but, you know, uh, a few years ago, we, we got beat by Georgia Southern. Do you remember about 20, 2013? I said, I re- I'm going to prepare for Georgia Southern and Florida no differently than I'm going to prepare for Georgia and Florida. Said, well, you're crazy. They, they don't even compare. No, and the significance of the game is, 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 is much different. But the preparation is the same, and that's why I can certainly understand when coaches talk about the cliche of taking one game at a time, and your preparation never changes. And I look, I don't care if that's if we're playing a one double A team, they're gonna I gotta prepare the same way. They're gonna have a they're gonna have their eleven guys on defense. They're, they're, they're I'm gonna have a you know a three man uh, depth chart. I gotta prepare like twenty two guys or thirty three guys on offense, thirty three guys on defense, and so my Monday through Friday game preparation is gonna be the same no matter who we're playing. And so I learned that early, and that was applicable to the small town game I did, to the to the biggest national championship games I've done, and and I've been blessed to to call a, a bunch of national championship games over the three sports I've done here at Florida. It's been uh, it's been tremendous. Perfect, uh, Mick. Obviously, you've had a lot of nicknames for people. Uh, we just had uh, Josh Hammond on right before you came on, and and coined the nickname Hot Sauce Hammond for him. I don't think you ever used it, but uh, I did all the time. Uh, what was what are some of your favorite, <laughs> what are some of your favorite nicknames that you had, or, or does any one particular one stick out? Oh gosh, uh, I've had a few. You know, uh, you know when uh, when Dallas Baker played, you know I, I gave him the nickname of the Touchdown Maker. And uh, Dallas Baker, the touchdown maker, uh, because I, I only said that when he when he caught a touchdown pass. I mean, if he you know caught a ten yard pass for a first down, I'd say Dallas Baker, the, the first down maker. I didn't say that. I said the touchdown maker. So I used that one. And uh, I think it was about the second game in 2006. We're playing UCF on a Saturday afternoon game, and uh, we throw a little pass over the middle, little little, little middle route. And the guy makes the catch, and my eyes got huge. I saw he makes the catch, heads toward the east sideline, turns to the right, goes down the sideline, and when he made that catch and put it in the next gear, that's when I said for the first time, oh, mercy, Percy, you know. And so that began, oh, mercy, because I'd been saying, you know, oh, my, but he was the only player that got an oh, mercy, uh, because I saw Percy Harvin. Oh, my goodness, I'd never seen a guy do that. I mean, and that was that, that was like the second game. I think it was the very first year. So there was that one, and uh, you know, uh, I've had a, a few others that I've, I've thrown in. Uh, 
you know, uh, and, you know, I had a few back in Peoria doing the Bradley Braves, the Dayton Flyers, and, you know, nicknames were, I, I'm a kid that, you know, when I was a kid listening to radio in the 50s and 60s, there were a lot more nicknames of players. Players gave players nicknames and, you know, broadcasters, and you, you know, you, could, you heard more nicknames back then than you do today. I know players have nicknames that they use, you know, privately with other players, but to be a broadcaster, you, you, you almost have to watch everything you say now. And uh, people, people are taking everything, you know, and think, gee, I didn't, I didn't mean that. I didn't know you talking about people. They come up with these things. They think they know what you're saying. I'm saying it's just a way to give a, give a little flavor to a broadcast. So I kind of don't use as many nicknames as I, I used to, but when I started out, I, I used quite a few of them because I listened to broadcasters who had nicknames and, uh, you know, I think that those are some, some good ones. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, I remember one, there was a baseball player that uh, passed away a few years ago, played for the Houston Astros before that Houston Co 45, his name was Jimmy Wynn. They called him the toy cannon. They, they probably couldn't call him the toy cannon today, but he was about five, nine, five, ten, about 200 pounds. He looked like a bowling ball type of guy. He could hit with power, a tremendous player, but he was the toy cannon. But so there was tremendous baseball nicknames and uh, I love the nicknames, but uh, those, those are a couple of mercy Percy and Dallas Baker, the touchdown maker. And, you know, I had a couple of people say to me the other day, Mick, you said, I don't think you'll be able to say people are quarantined anymore. You know, I said, no, that quarantine is probably <laughs> taking on a whole different meaning. But, you know, back that, that came about back in the 1990s when, when Danny Werfel was here under Spurrier's offense. I mean, whether it was Ike, Riddell, Quezzi, Jack Jackson, you can go on down the list of guys. I mean, Ike Hilliard, Mike Hilliard to, uh, uh, you know, all those guys. You know, they, we would always get wide open. I mean, we, it didn't matter if it was a corner route or a, a post pattern or whatever it was. The guys would be standing wide open. And I listened to a guy named Connie Alexander. Connie Alexander called games in the Southwest Conference back in the 1970s. And I had a tape of him calling the 1976 Cotton Bowl game between Arkansas and Georgia. And I still have the tape today. And, uh, and he used the, he threw that out there. He used the, the guy was wide open. He was all alone. He was quarantined. And I hear this in the 1970s. I'm going, I've got to use that. So I've been using that for 40 some years. In fact, I, I used that, uh, uh, you know, a few years ago. And uh, the coach we had at the time, he, he, he didn't like it. He didn't like it. And I thought, I looked at him and said, well, I'm, I've used it for 40 years. I'm going to keep using it. Now, you, it's up to you to get guys open. <laughs> hey, Mick, I got, I, got, I got a question for you, Mick. Um, what went on in your mind when McElwain uh, said the death threats thing? What, 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 like, what were you doing? And like, what was your thoughts? Well, you know, I, I remember uh, he uh, his first year. I was I had been doing the call in show, you know, we called it Gator Hotline, and and uh, I think that first year he didn't want to take any phone calls because Nick Saban didn't take phone calls. And I thought, well, man, th that's the essence of the show. I mean, you know, I mean, the essence of the show is that, you know, I, I don't want to be, I don't want to interview the football coach for 60 minutes. I, I can do that, but this is not about me. It's about fans calling in and, you know, voicing their, well, he want to do that. So, you know, so he and I had a few run-ins, uh, you know, and uh, he probably had a few run-ins with everybody else too. So, uh, I, 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 I didn't do the show after that first year. So, uh, I, they, I think this was, this was his third year in his middle of his third year. Right. That's when he was uh, terminated. 
uh, my wife and I were going out to dinner that night. We were actually, the show came on at six o'clock. We were in the car and uh, he, 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 he made, he made that comment. And I remember looking at my wife, I looked at my wife and I thought, what did he say? Did, did he say what I think he said? You know? And so I thought, wow, well, you know, uh, it really didn't go over. You know, I'm being very honest right now. I didn't really go over because you said that on a Thursday night and, uh, you know, we didn't have, uh, uh, it was coming up on an open date. So it was, it, we were going to play Texas A&M. Remember we had, we were going to wear those crazy looking gator jerseys, you know, and, and the, the, the ugly looking jerseys. We had. I didn't like it as a broadcast because I couldn't read the numbers on the back of the jerseys too good. They look good. Yeah, I, had, I, had the, I had to figure like them off. Yeah. You know, when you had it in your hand, the jersey looked okay. But when you're doing a game on a Saturday night up in the booth, it's hard to see the numbers in there. So anyway, so he said, yeah, I'll probably get, you know, they'll, they'll blame me for that too, for those jerseys. He was going off and he's made that comment. But, so then the we, he didn't have a Monday news conference the following Monday because it was an open week. So then uh, the following Monday, he reiterated the comment. So now it's 10 days since the first time he made the comment on the radio. But like I said, it didn't really gain any traction the first time he said. But when he said it the second time in the news conference up in the, in the stadium, I mean, shoot. I mean, within probably five minutes, it was national, national news. It was all over, you know, it was tweeted everywhere. So, uh, you know, I mean, I, I didn't know anything about any of this. I just was listening to it, and I thought, wow, that's a, that's a pretty strong comment. And, uh, you know, he, he just never was able to recover from that comment and, and uh, never was able to finish out that season. So, uh, you and it's know, been, it was a, it, it was it's been rainbows season. ever since. Been a different time ever since. Yeah, it's, it was crazy, but uh, – you know, I, 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 I'm happy for him. I, I'm, you know, I, you know, I, like I said, we, we had a few run-ins, but uh, I was glad to see him. He turned Central Michigan around last year and uh, got him into a bowl game. And, uh, you know, he, he hope he has a great season this year also. But I'm very, very happy that, you know, Coach Mullen came back, you know, and, uh, you know, what he's done has just been nothing short of sensational and picking up the pieces here and getting us in these, these, uh, you know, these big bowl games we played in, and uh, I think the future is very bright. I love it. I love it. Well, Mick, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you uh, this evening. I mean, it's incredible to hear your storytelling, and hopefully we can have you on uh, again soon. Hopefully it's not because of the quarantine lasting any longer or anything else. But, uh, Mick, we really appreciate your time. Uh, if you could give us a big oh, my, for the for their listeners out there, I think uh, – I think in this time, they would really appreciate that. <laughs> well, guys, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate chatting with you guys and appreciate what you do. And, you know, and uh, I'm really, really happy. And uh, like I said, I haven't used it in probably five, six weeks. I got back from the SEC tournament that, that we never played. And I got back and, uh, and the, that the first day back was Friday the 13th of March. So I've been in this uh, – safer at home, whatever we want to call it, quarantine, whatever, <laughs> since uh, been uh, since March 13th. So I don't think I've said it since sometime in March, but oh my, hopefully we'll be back and you know have some real powerful meaning when the Gators score a touchdown here in a, in a few months coming up. We love it, Mick. Well, thank you so much for your time, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Guys, Mick. Thank you. Good night. Mick Hubert. The legendary Mick Hubert. Yes. Put some respect on his name, Dan. Legend. Absolute legend.
I'll tell you, I remember growing up, you know, four or five, six years old, uh, when we would watch the Gator games, my, my parents would, uh, would turn on the AM radio, find whatever 690 or whatever channel it was down there in Coral Springs, and we would listen to Mick Hubert. And sometimes the radio was was right on cue with the TV. Sometimes it was a little bit behind, but it was always so much better listening to Mick Hubert than it was uh, listening to the folks on the radio. So a guy I've been listening to literally my entire life. And every Saturday morning, I mean, Sunday morning, I keep saying Saturday, that Sunday morning, he's have the uh, breakfast with the Gators. Breakfast with the Gators. Hang out with Mick. Mick. Only on wins, though. I don't want to hear Mick off the hell. I don't even want to tune in. We lose. Because we're playing for Urban, too. We probably already had practice anyway by the time we're tomorrow. We should have known when McElwain said no callers that we knew that this thing was going to go downhill quickly. Just that should have been our first because time. Saban, because Saban don't have <laughs> callers. I said, well, you got to like have better self-awareness. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, I love it, man. I love it. Well, we um, let's get uh, – we still have to do the draft tonight, but uh, – Let me kill you. Finish killing uh, y'all boys, man. Yeah, on last on last Friday we dropped an episode for you boys for uh, for Greg Brunt. Greg Brunt wanted to uh, give away a hundred dollars to five different people, so we asked everybody and we got a couple hundred responses. So it's really incredible response rate to say what your favorite stadium and Gale moment was. We heard some great ones. Um, I think nearly every episode had something, uh, but we want to give a shout out. So we said. Uh, after that, that we put everybody's name into a generator uh, and uh, would pick the five people. So these are the five people. So congratulations to these five. We'll reach out to you after the show and get you connected with Greg. Uh, but these are the five people uh, that have won the $100 uh, from Greg Brunt. So I'm just going to do your username. Don't know your actual name, but we'll holler at you. So the first one is Technology Kick. Technology kick. Yeah, 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 yeah. So technology kick. He was the first winner. Then Gator Burt seven. Second one. A Bennett fifty. Oh, shout out to all these people. Yeah, how about that? Micah Lee one zero two four. And then Craig R. Cummings. So congratulations to all five of you. We'll reach out to you and get you your one hundred dollars each from Greg Brunt at Brunt Insurance and Financial Services. Y'all boys spend that wisely out here in these Corona streets, man. All right, boys. Stadium Miguel stimulus package. That's right. Stadium Miguel stimulus. Hey, put, put my name on those before y'all print man. those out there. I want my name. Well, yeah, my- <laughs> 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 I might, might delay the distribution, oh. but that hasn't stopped anybody else, right? <laughs> Already. Already. All right, boys. Uh, it's our final. Uh, it's our final week. Uh, so far, my team is outscoring your team uh, every game of the week, but uh, we've got our final, we've got our yeah, final pick. <laughs> I ain't worried. Y'all gonna have you gonna have to throw the ball deep on me. I'm not worried about it. One of y'all running. All Dan, all Dan games are played in black and white. <laughs> hey Dan. <laughs> hey Dan, y'all have leather helmets not there or what? What's <laughs> Maybe so, mod. It's it's not my fault that you uh, that you can't see greatness in the past, you know. <laughs> I remember my face mask was in Dan. I'm sorry. Re- recency, <laughs> recency bias, Ahmad. But uh, so we're gonna do kicker, punter. Do you guys just want to do one returner, uh, and then we'll do uh, our head coach, and then we. So we're gonna set the the standard here. Ooh. 
we know the three head coaches that are going to be picked. So we know that all three of them are offensive minded. So we're not going to pick an offensive coordinator. We're just going to do defense coordination. We're going to do head coaches, defensive coordinator, one returner, one kicker, one punter, all in the bag together. Ahmad, you get the first pick. All right. The first pick today. Uh, I'm going to go with a coach. We're going we're gonna to start off. Give me her. All right. I ain't expect nothing less, bro. Um, I got to run my system because I got T-Boy at quarterback. Like, on paper, it would say go old ball coach, but I got to go Dan just because I got to run. I can't run Spurry as shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I need Spurry, <laughs> so I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, I mean, why it all up? But I'm gonna run Mullen shit. It's all good. We still got rings in Gainesville with all that, baby. So I gotta go. I gotta get the coach. I gotta get. Yeah, damn Mullen. All right, very good. Well, since I know my coach is gonna be available, uh, I'm gonna go with. I uh, get two go. coaches in your ass, bro. <laughs> 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 I'm gonna go um, Brandon James as a returner, and then I'm gonna go. Um, Ooh, I guess I'll go with uh, with our boy Charlie Strong. Go grab him real quick. Uh, give me. Don't forget my man's name. It's four twenty. It's big over here. Um, uh, Muschamp's DC. Dan Quinn. Dan Quinn, Atlanta, Atlanta's head coach. Let me get Dan Quinn at defensive coordinator. <clears throat> Okay. All right. You know I gotta go with my boy. Blitz that some third down, Coach Grantham. All right, very good. I don't know. I think you said Todd Grantham somewhere in in <laughs> inaudible screen. Blitz that some third down. You you'll find out then. When when your when your team back there sitting back there with, with uh like statues. I am, I am I am not worried about Todd Grantham's third down defense. All right, whatever. I know we know you ain't gonna be able to run the ball. <laughs> Probably won't even make it to third down, to be honest. Uh, uh, you're still up. Yeah, I'm gonna go with uh, my return man, Chris Rainey. All right, return man. It's a little tricky. Let me go. I'm gonna go. Let me go. Field goal kicker. I go. Caleb Sturgis. Ooh. Yeah, return man ain't going nowhere. Give me. I'll take Caleb. All right. I'm gonna go. I think I'm just gonna go back to back here. I'm gonna take uh, our only Lou Groza winner and uh, Stadium and Gale alum Judd Davis. And then I'm going to go uh, with Johnny Townsend. I'm trying to think. I'm going to go punter. I still ain't got to go return, man. Um, yeah, bro, I don't know, man. I don't know. Let me get Chaz Henry at punter. Oh, man. Mm. 
Let me tell you a quick story. There was a time I was I was intoxicated and I almost was arrested uh, at the UF South Carolina game uh, in Columbia my uh, my senior year. Uh, I was almost arrested for jumping on a train. We talked about that on uh, on, on an episode before. Uh, but there was a time and we, like I said, had some alcohol and we were sitting in the very front row right behind the Florida bench and we were able to start a Henry for Heisman campaign because that's how bad we were beating them and how bored and drunk we were. So, Chaz Henry. Very good story. Thanks for telling it, Dan. You're welcome. Great, great story, Dan. All right. Yeah, sell, sell my team. I appreciate that, Dan. Sell it. All right. It's on me? Yeah, it's on you, bro. Yeah. All right. Give me uh, give me Wilbur. Okay. You got me? Wilbur. I got you. Yeah. Give me uh, Eddie P. Okay. Yeah, give me um, – I'll tell you Rat at, pump, at Returner. Give me Rat. All right. And then I'm going to leave us with – I guess that just leaves me with Steve Spurrier as my head coach. Oh, yeah. He's left you with, with, with. I'll take him. Yeah, I'm going to take a hit today. My roster's been crazy. I know I'm going to take a hit because y'all can get a lot of love with the head coaches. Y'all got the titles. So I'm going to take a little hit today. Yeah. But I got I had to run my system. I'm going to look crazy with Steve Spurrier at quarterback. I'm going to be throwing my, spire, my, 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 um, my visor every day. Yeah. we. Uh, I, th- I think I won today. Um, I definitely won today. Looking no, forward to, uh, to flexing on the, on the time. Who's your returner? Brandon James. Yeah, you got the returner. You might got the coach. Yeah, you might win today. I like Dan. Dan yeah, might yeah, yeah. Man, Dan I, might do okay today. I, I think I'm solid. That. I think I won at DC. Okay. I like Dan Quinn a lot. I was between him and uh and Charlie Strong. You what? That's that's fantastic. Come on. There it's the rest of your team that we're worried about. <laughs> The rest of my team. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I think overall, we'll put it all out. I think overall, we're going to do a poll. I think we do a poll yeah. tomorrow. Um, so you put them on the yeah. poll and everybody will vote. And we'll see how it all play out. Yeah, I think Andre DeBose could have been in one of the returners. I think Lito could have been yeah. a returner. Um, I had a couple people. I think of who else we're missing. Um, I was thinking solo. Solo returns, yeah. punts and kicks and whatnot. I'm trying to think who else. Shit, Redell. Antonio Callaway had a couple of uh, kick returns, punt returns. Um, I remember the one in the SEC championship. Uh, Bo Carroll. Um, Bo Carroll was nasty. Bo Carroll was fast, bro. Next level fast. Over two. Yeah, Cam's going to do a leftover roster. And put together the guys that didn't get drafted. And that roster is going to be raw as well. Uh, one of the fans requested that we uh, play this in on on NCAA 14. Um, simulated games. Put the rosters together. Let, let them play Ooh. out. So if anybody could do that for us. Yeah, if anybody could do that, I think I think we'd even pay you, uh, how you to make that happen. How you do ratings? I have a... All yeah, of yeah. all of our players are ranked ninety nine. So just and okay. all of your players are probably not ranked ninety nine. Uh, damn, uh, <laughs> if you'd have had Dunbar, yeah, we got to put Dunbar on, on Mod's roster. Yeah, we got to put, put Dunbar back corner. on a Mod's team. 
Hey, Dan, nobody on, on Twitter at, not one time said your team was the best, so you could just get it right. <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Dan, Dan got the, uh, the the 50 plus market cornered. Like all the 50 plus fans, he got that shit cornered. That whole team got Bengay on, man. Nobody worried about the boys. <laughs> <laughs> we run about that stuff, man. Hey, speaking of getting some of these, uh, some of the uh, the more seasoned uh, veterans uh, on the show, boys, we got ourselves a lineup uh, coming up of uh, some former guys. Um, maybe the Cuban Rockets coming on uh, in the future. Uh, mm. Maybe one Gator, uh, one of the the greatest Gator wide receivers of all time. Uh, he might be coming on next week. Mm. We might have four um, UF coaches. Uh, coming on in the next couple weeks, so uh, this content's not stopping, boys. Yeah, we out here, man. Same corner, same time. Y'all know the drill. Uh, who got the song this week? I think Ahmad's got it, huh? I got it. I got the song. So Unless you, you got a word of the week. Hold on. De- definitely don't play it this week on your speaker. You know what I'm saying? Because it's going to lag. We got we to gotta get off of here soon. <laughs> you can't play that, Cam. You gotta put that on the roll up, bro. I got five on it. I mean, that we song gonna, still slaps, though. We're we gonna go with practice, young MA. Not a game. Practice. Same corner, same time next week, fellas. Believe that. We got you. Like we ain't never ever go hard for this. They don't let us in. We both guard in this shit. Yeah. They talking about practice, bloody. Like we don't practice, bloody. Who said I don't go hard? Bitch, I go so hard. I don't care who got it. We still in charge, fuck these hoes, fuck these bras I don't got no time, no. do you see my pockets? Yeah. I'm doing just fine, don't call my line, don't call my line call. If you ain't talking checks, what? oh you tryna flex what? What? We are not impressed, no. big rolls in my sweats Hit us to my left, pulled up to the club Fuck it up, then we left, Hennessy on my breath OG in my chest, oh you making threats Okay, say less. say less. Don't act like you know me. Huh? I don't know you guys. No. So if I say who you, who them? Do not act surprised, man. I don't pay y'all no mind. No. I just pay my bills. No Netflix and chill, bitch. I get checks and chill. Put that pussy on my grill, bitch. Tell me how it feels. They say that I'm rude. No, I'm just that real. Y'all talking about practice. Y'all talking about practice. What? Bitch, we active, we active I just dump a bitch and dump my ashes, my ashes Oh, you try to doubt me, they try to doubt me Oh, you a hater, keep that shit from around me Pull up in that Audi, skr-skr, then I'm Audi Put my chain on her, she like, oh, you trying to drown me Back when I was broke, you was trying to clown me Remember when you said you was better off without me? Now I'm shitting on you. Oh, I did it on you. Now you got the blues. Like I'm cribbing on you. What I'm on my blood shit. Soo, soo. I be fucking dog bitches. Voodoo, voodoo. If you getting money, then you cool, you cool. But I don't know you guys. Who you, who you? Man, I do what I do. Bitch, mind your business. I'm choking my 
that shit Because I'm twisted I'ma be a billionaire Speak that to existence I believe that shit If I say it, then I'll mention You can't tell me nothing Everything in function I don't hear no facts I just hear assumptions You said you was popping I heard you was bluffing Oh, you frontin', frontin' You really about nothing Chicken with the stuffing We getting that bank bank We getting that KK Fuck what you think Talking about practice. Y'all talking about practice. What? Bitch, we active, we active. I just dump a bitch and dump my ashes, my ashes. Hey, hey, hey. They don't let us in, we both God in this shit. Like we ain't never ever go hard for this They don't let us in, we both God in this shit yeah. They talking about practice, bloody Like we don't practice, bloody Who said I don't go hard? Bitch, I go so hard